Yeah, you can be comfy. I mean, you both are over that end, so we can just move this between you. Right, if they see that go off, that red light, yeah, tell me. I'll do my best. <laughs> just because that, like, I don't, I've never recorded for three hours on these when they recorded like an hour. So. But it never uses all that sometimes. So. It's a speed run, I love it. Yeah, pretty much. Speed run. You ready to roll? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Strange. This is strange. This is like... It's feels the way, doesn't it, looking at each other <laughs> in person. Strange, yeah. yeah. Everyone look away. Everyone look away. You've got your eyes, children. You've got Either way, welcome to the show, Chew in the Plot, a podcast which we hope will be an exploration of all things fiction and likely help you cheat on whatever book report or media essay you're writing right now. Every month we take a look at a story, tale, or icon of whatever from the cultural history of being human and break it down into some anecdotes, pop culture references, not only giving you an overview of the narrative itself, but asking why it's had such an impact on our culture and society as it has. Overall, also giving us an excuse to read a lot of books, watch a bunch of films, and not feel like we wasted our life in doing so. We're not scholars, we're not historians, we just had nothing better to do. Welcome to the show, guys. Yes, you can take a breath now. Yes. Yeah. It's like, breathe, Graham, breathe. <laughs> How do you think I managed to always fit it in one minute? Just forget to breathe. Just don't breathe. No, right. I cannot encourage that. Um, if you notice audio is different this week, it's because for the first time we're recording live. Because Not over Zoom. We're allowed and stuff. <laughs> just um, incriminating. No. Sounds incriminating. <laughs> no, yeah. we're just saying we're allowed, isn't it? Because... Yeah, well, I just say, you know, we're adhering well, that's to the guidance. That's legal, absolutely. It just sounds yeah. like, I went and bought milk. But that's legal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it's like yeah. Wait, when was it illegal? It's about milk. It's about milk. It's about milk. It depends on the milk. Can't buy raw milk. Yeah, you can. Well, you you can, can now. Yeah, but you could have. Yeah. 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 Either way. Milk. But milk isn't cooked. We digress. Rats' mind just trying to work this This is what it's going to be like live now. We're all going to see real life reactions about things. Oh. oh, exciting. And interruptions. <laughs> wow, I didn't see this coming, did we? Milk isn't cooked. <laughs> Amazon? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not sponsored. Oh, that's dishwashing that works. <laughs> this is great content, guys. <laughs> so this week, once again, we have poked up our classic literature heads overlapping with our classiest co-host, Jen Darby. So Jen, do tell us what fiction we're looking at this week, and who do we have with us today? Ah, we are looking at the 1995 classic film, Clueless. 1995? 95, I know, Charlotte, can you believe it? But it's based on... Uh, Emma by Jane Austen. <laughs> yeah. So it is based on a classic literary fiction and is an adaptation and a well-received adaptation. It's usually a good critical choice. And today with me, I have in order of, and this is very topical, most likely to disconnect a washing machine with me, Charlotte Greeny, Graham Cooling, <laughs> and Brett <Lamp. laughs> Hey, I was getting something from the car that's unfair representation. <laughs> Well, I, mean, I agree with the order. Yes, yes. <laughs> I knew you would. can't disagree with the order. <laughs> Not yeah. at all. The first person I would ask to help is you, yeah. Charlotte. Thank Sorry, you. I said you because I'm not looking at a screen at her. I just turned and just nodded. In my real eyes. Real eyes. Yeah. I've got like a fake moustache and it's on. 
<laughs> That's right. This week we are looking at crossover combo once again, <laughs> having to cover two tiles in one episode because we like to make a challenge for ourselves. As such, Jen, to get, if you can, the story down into one minute and give us a summary. Can you beat the record of two for two with me? Mm. Nobody else has broken. Um, I mean, it's been eight eight episodes since. So what what time have I got to beat? A minute. A minute. A minute. You just gotta, all you got to do is get it in a minute. And I've won. Well, it's you, you, you join me on the podium. No. I've done it twice now. In a minute? In a minute. Have you really? Yeah. yeah. I did Macbeth and I did Ghost <sighs> My My brain stopped working during mine, otherwise I think I would have Brett done it Brett took as a well. breather yeah, in the beginning Yeah, you took of this. that breather. <laughs> I improved. <laughs> you were amazing. Most improved. If you hadn't, you had like a three or four second pause right at the beginning. Yeah. That we all thought, that's killed your minute because you'd have probably got it yeah. in there. I also start shouting. Yes, you got louder. The quicker you went. It's like a graph. Volume, time. Straight up. Three, two, one, go. Clueless is the 1995 Amy Heckling adaptation of the classic Jane Austen's novel of Emma. The film mirrors the story of Emma in the guise of a 90s valley girl icon, Cher. Cher is intelligent, witty and incredibly self-centred, caring about those around her but generally clueless about who her friends really are and what they truly want to make them happy. Clueless follows the lives of seemingly rapid teenagers when a new girl and less valley-rich Belair teen, Ty, starts at their wealthy private school. Cher makes it her mission to turn Ty into a view of popular and tries to mould her along the way. As with Emma, Cher comes to realise that she was clueless about the world around her and people in her life. After a disappointing party where Ty has lost herself in being popular, Cher decides to change her ways and begins to do things with purpose and not for her own good. One by one, she writes the wrongs and fixes the mistakes she has made, making sure Ty is being herself, her teachers are happily in love, and, oh, also gets together with her stepbrother, played by the ageist Paul Rudd, but that's only because Emma, in the original, marries her own cousin. The end. Oh! oh. Yes! <laughs> that's going to kill all the air that screen, but... Turns out I should write it five minutes before yes. we start recording. Just under 59 seconds. That's a real improvement, considering the last time it was almost yeah, like a minute and 58 seconds. Yeah. I thought you were going to go over when you started digressing about Paul Rudd. Yeah. Like, right at the end, I thought this is going to, this is going to play oh, out. perfect amount of time to talk about Paul Rudd. Thank you. I feel like the age of Paul Rudd is a very oh, big part of this. There's lots of talking about Paul Rudd later. Because right, we, we, I uh, love it. So that's right. This week we're looking at crossover combo, as mentioned before. As Jen mentioned, we are mainly looking at the 1995 flick Clueless. With what makes this really a cult film hit. Oh, wow, that sentence is very poorly so true. It was in a sea of teen comedies. And why did this stand out? But also looking at its main inspiration, Emma which is by Jane Austen, which is a novel from 1815, which I was surprised about. It was way earlier than I thought it was. I didn't know that it was a thing of Emma for a really long time. Had you ever read Emma, though? No. Yeah, you Uh, wouldn't know. Like, if you never know about it. Also, they didn't... I feel like more often these days, um, like, streaming sites have, like, the little brackets, adaptation of Emma, or 10 Things I Hate About You, adaptation of Taming of a Shrew. Um, Like, they have that, but I think when they they all came out on DVDs and videos, VHSs, you know, back in the day, um, they didn't really have a lot of that. No, no, not at all. And Emma's probably the least likeable of the Austins because she is really irritating up until a certain point and then goes, oh... Oh, I'm awful, and then changes her ways. But she's reading it is hard work because you're like, come on, get likable. Was Emma like sixteen? Yeah, maybe eighteen. I think she's a little older. Yeah, maybe eighteen. Yeah, Yeah. maybe eighteen. She's not old. She's not like a no, but she's not young teen. But she's not like the others where they make them sound older and wiser. 
But both the film and the book share much the same story, strife, independence of the female sex, but also end happily ever after. Uh, but first we need to dive into a section which I like to call Just the Facts. Just the Facts. Boop, boop. Nice. two sections because we are dealing with two titles. I'm first going off with Emma. Yay! Yeah. So Emma the book was written, as mentioned, in 1815 by classical literature icon Jane Austen. No one say a bad word about Jane Austen or I'll slice your face yourself. I don't think we don't like her. We, like, we don't mind. I don't think we're a book, to be fair. Just, I'm just clarifying. <laughs> it followed her iconic work, Pride and Prejudice. She was originally offered £450 for the rights to the yeah. book, something she turned down. Instead of opting to publish at cost to herself and giving the publishing house 10% of distribution, which was a savvy move. Yeah, I feel savvy move. that's another thingy you chose. She didn't want to get published by the... Uh, what? Little women. Little she women. wasn't going to yeah. get that. No, but it's like... I, I have a style. I have a type I of thing I like, clearly. It must have been like a big deal at the time. Yeah. Well, she also did it because originally for Pride and Prejudice, she only got £110. Mm. And it was more successful. How much is that, like, now money? Not like Austen's other novels, she based characters on people whom she knew and was reflecting on her place in society, living in rural... And I can't remember the name of it. I thought she lived in... Do you think, oh, no, is that the Brontes lived in the Yorkshire? Yeah. Yeah, Hallith. Sorry. <laughs> Making across the real big crossover. No, please don't judge me. No, no, it's, it's in that same vein, then. <laughs> now, today, there has been four film adaptions of Emma, one of which was focusing on today in the form of Clueless. Multiple film adaptions, of course. I found some lovely reworks, as I always do. Uh, Emma, a modern retelling, which is a detective novella. Ooh. Emma and the Werewolves. And Emma and the Vampires. Good lord. Oh, of, of course, course guys. Of course. <laughs> Can't have Haven't we been over this before? <laughs> We've done this. Can um, I just point out there's a lot of bird sound? She's going to make it nice. Nice and, nice and ambient. So Austin herself was uh, one of, written in a weird way, seven out of eight of children, but she wasn't. She was one of eight children. To yeah, seven out. Was she the um, seventh, like the second oldest? In her family uh, with six brothers, something people often note differs from the characters in her books. Because she, they barely tend to have large families. They mm. tend to have a couple of brothers, but not as many as she She has do. a beloved sister, though. Yes. Austin was raised from a young age, at three and a quarter months or so, by the Good Women, a group of women in a village, until two years old, and then she was returned to her parents, as was tradition oh. at the time in that area. You would be taken from your parents, raised by other women, and then brought back to your mother. Fucking weird. Yep. Uh, Austin earned nothing until she was 36. Living entirely off the pocket money from her family. And she was not a household name in her lifetime either. She was well known, but she wasn't as in esteem mm. as she is these days. And died with possessions only numbering to around £800. Hampshire. Yeah. That's where she grew up in. Hampshire. So that's like where Portsmouth and that is. South Coast. There we go. And she spent yeah. a lot of time in Bath as well. Yeah. So and lots of Jira and stuff like that. I'm glad so. I was also like... Where's Portsmouth? We're, we're in London. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know that. I don't know where that is. So, yes, I'll And as notably, she is currently on the £10 note in the UK. Yay! With her shittest With a terrible quote. Yeah, I, I was reading about why people dislike that. Um, do, you, do you know anything about Caroline Bingley? She's a wanker. Mm. No. Yeah. yeah, I know. I don't even why know would you, Why would you put Caroline Bingley the, of the all... The quote she says is basically saying you're wasting your time reading. Why would you do yeah. that? Yeah, because basically Carol Mina was like a, a woman of society and she uh. was like, well, all you do is exist to look good and get married and um, what's her face like to read a lot? And then she's like, what is the point of you wasting your time with books? Yeah, Caroline Bingley is the like annoying, sort of annoying, but the, and the not very nice sister of a 
of another side character. That's why it's weird. Either way. I own three copies of the DVD. Yeah. The one with Kira Knightley. Right. Why? Because I thought... Oh, I don't want to What happens is, we watch it, and we put it away somewhere, yeah. and then we find the case, and there's no disc in it. Don't know why. Don't know what happened to that disc in the last, like, six months. And Charles like, buy one next time we're in town. Buys one. Then finds the disc, and then we just repeat that process at okay. least twice. I do that with Romeo and Juliet, I have to say. The Leonardo DiCaprio version. I think that the best thing was, yeah. I'm pick up a copy of Nightmare Before Christmas. Don't have that at all. Go home. It's sitting right there. Wait, on the do, shelf. do you have two copies of Nightmare Before Christmas? Shall I let you no, not anymore. No, no, I need a copy of Nightmare Before Christmas because no. I give mine away to Max. No. Either no. way, no. I know, sad times, no. right? Moving on. Yeah, so, sorry, my facts it. about Clueless. <laughs> Clueless came out in 1995 and it was written and, by, and directed by Amy, Amy Heckerling. I don't know why I said that in such a way. Um, she also directed uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Look Who's Talking, and wrote Loser. You've seen any of those films? No. Uh, the film was shot in forty days. There are fifty-three types of tartan and played in this film. Oh, oh, I respect that. I love it, and I love that that's come back into fashion. And I'm this, and for everyone listening at home, is me. Bat inch. Bat inch. Yep. That far away from buying at least a version of that outfit, yep. the skirt, like the A-line skirt with the blazer and, if and the you nice don't like, know what that outfit is, you're too young. Yes. And you must watch it. Yeah, if you see it and have bought it, look for the origins. It's clueless. If you don't know what it's from. You want to be Cher. You want to be Dion. Oh, so the film itself also has a book. Hmm, what? I made a novelisation of the film. Nice. Uh, And they did a TV spin-off. It's got a TV series, a comic book, a musical, Mm -hmm. and a web series. A book based on the film, based on the book. Yeah. I like it. Is there, a, is there a film based on the book based on the film based on the book? Probably. How far so that's a classic Brett <laughs> A production, it cost $12 million to make, but made $56.6 million at box office. So we got a, got a good old return. And that, that was a nice film to do. quite a basic bitch film. Well, that's the thing though, is people think it's a basic bitch film, but we all know it's not a basic bitch film. Yeah, that's the point, isn't it? It was alright, yeah. What? That from you is high praise on someone that I've chosen. <laughs> I'm sorry, no. Brett likes um, Legally Blonde. He likes <gasps> House Bunny. He likes Love Legally Blonde. Um, I felt House Bunny. We're gonna watch House Bunny's House Bunny is fucking great. Ah, oh, House Bunny's great, yes. As I know, it will come up as well in a film involving teens being played by 30 year olds. This is the ages of the actors. Oh. within the film yeah. I'm starting off with yay I love this section so Alicia Silverstone is 19 in this film who plays Cher oh, okay. Station Realistic. Dash who plays Dion is 29 Ooh, she's the, the f- oldest she character looks great she looks hot for that age she's amazing uh, Brittany Murphy was 18 at the time of filming yeah, Paul Rudd was like 26 uh, Donald Faison who plays Murphy is 21 Brecken oh. Meyer who's Travis is 21 and Jeremy Sisto who played Elton is also 21 so actually not terrible not not Starship Troopers no. terrible, no. Well, no. Yes. I <laughs> Whoa. Not I as bad as I thought it was going to be. Like, an age the main, apart oh, from yeah, like uh, Stacey Dash, yeah. everybody is kind of roughly, okay, a little bit older, but not that much more. Yeah. Paul Rudd's probably the closest to his character's age in terms of, like, yeah, he's 26, like, but he's meant to be, like, 19, 20. Well, yeah. no, he's, he's at college, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, I think he's you know he's just it's finished college. Just finished college, so he'll so be like, like 20, 22, 22, 23. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was like the, the strangest one of those is Stacey Dash because she's older than Paul Rudd and, and she's playing someone who's 15, 16 years old. Mm. And that, my friends, is just the facts. Mm. Just the facts. Boop, boop. 
You may know that we may seem a little light on the facts today. You know, I had to reach out to find some of these facts. Um, but that is especially surrounding Emma, and discuss why we'll move on to Context is Everything. Context is Everything. I may have, should have provided some more facts. But... I know, it wasn't even about that. Like, I just couldn't find stuff. Like, even on in terms of kind of clueless, there is not much factual stuff. Well, apart no, from just like it's, basic it's stuff. A, it, yeah, it's not a complicated plot. No, it's also not Neither, yeah, the, the books, the plot, you know, that's it's nice and basic. And I'm, like, oh. I'm going to take a heroine who no one but myself will much like. Is the quote from Jane Austen? <laughs> I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take heroin, some heroin. Heroin, yeah. Because of heroin. something I don't like. Yeah. Um, so there are not many quotes from Jane Austen, and with good reason. Uh, at least not directly uh, in her own time. She wasn't a household name. Her books did okay, of which she published four major novels whilst living. And guessing Jen can name them all. Yeah. Go ahead. You want me to name them all? I don't know if I can name them in order, but you've got Pride and Prejudice. You've got Emma, Northanger Abbey, Mansfield Park, Sense and Sensibility, uh, Posthumously, Persuasion, and then technically there was uh, Unfinished, Lady Susan and Sanditon. Northanger Abbey was also posthumously. Oh, was it? Mm. Wasn't it one of the original four? Who who published it when she died? Her sister. Cassandra. There are lots of quotes from... And where did she die from? How old was she young? Yeah, she died really young. She, was, she, wasn't, she wasn't an old lady, sadly, because that's why they published... She only got, like, the first four fully out, and mm-hmm. Persuasion is posthumously, which is why it has a slightly different vibe. It's what she won. Yeah. Um, but um, I've actually... I'm just going to real Jane Austen nerd here, but I've actually got the book, which is the collection of all of Austen's letters. So there's a lot of information there. As well. Yeah, I haven't actually got much about her death, but I did read about it and, and kind of how she how she died and kind of thing. And what, one of the things which reasons why she died was because she ignored the fact that she was ill for a while. She what got, did she have? She got, there's a there's a debate on this as well because she was declared of having something at death, but then when people look into the symptoms and disease in modern medicine, they're like, oh, she actually no, this is more likely that she had this situation. So I, I, I didn't write that down. Um, but yeah, so essentially she was sick. And then I'm going to say, though, in that time, there's probably a yeah. lot of things that we didn't know. Yeah. yeah. And you don't know what the recording is like. They could have recorded something, but God knows what it could have been. Well, because she wasn't a household name, uh, there was no one documenting her in the same way of other artists at the That's time. That's why there's less about her. Yeah. The majority of info comes from letters she wrote to her sister. And despite being an avid rhetoric writer, letter writer um, someone mentioned that she may have written over 3,000 letters in her time. Only 161 of those letters survive to the modern day. And why does so little survive, we ask? Well, that's mainly due to her sister Cassandra, who um, she was very close to. She Mm. wrote a lot of letters. However, in 1843, Cassandra burned the greater part of those letters and cut to pieces and just kept the bits she wanted. If I'm honest, right, if if anyone listening is is ever had to clear out a house of someone that's died, it's you do get rid of a lot of stuff that at the time you don't, especially if she wasn't like particularly famous in her lifetime, you just go, oh, no one's going to give it about this. I don't want to lumber my rest of my family on a bunch of letters, so... There's actually a more significant reason. Tell me why. So Cassandra destroyed or censored her sister's letters to prevent them falling into the hands of relatives and ensuring the younger nieces did not read any of Jane Austen's sometimes acidic or forthright comments about neighbours or family members. She is very (laughs) cutting. In um, Persuasion, there is a very particular line that when you read it the first time, you don't really notice... But there is a 
relative of someone in it called Richard, who's a bit of a, well, he died, but he was a bit of an idiot. And they talk about him and she's like, oh, Richard lived up to his uh, nickname and then sort of ends the sentence there and then carries on. And it's a really interesting reference to hear someone call someone a dick in Austin's day. Like very, very specifically. When you're like, burn a letter so they don't fall, my brain instantly went into, into the wrong hands. Oh. It's like, is it some sort of villain out there just collecting these letters? So Cassandra believed that the interest of tact and Jane's penchant for forthrightness, these details should be destroyed. And even following this, Jane's life has been censored even further. Uh, Whitewash rewritten, edited mainly by her surviving family members who wanted to paint her. Bunch of wankers, really, aren't they? This is principally because, as you can imagine, having read Emma, our pride and... Pride and privilege. Pride and privilege. <laughs> um, it's about right. Austin didn't fit the archetype of the woman at the time. She wrote bold women, confident women who had an opinion. And whilst the family didn't mind the fiction of such a tale, they didn't want them to appear to have one within the family. Um, within it's a wonder years. why I love her. So they painted her as a good, quiet Jane. Is the way she's been painted. It clearly didn't work though, as most, most people know that you can write something so many times without there being some underlying reason why you keep writing these kinds of characters. As Brett said actually once, you know when people like die on these people die on movies, oh this person died, oh they were a lovely boy, they were a lovely blah, blah. and then half time it's just like they weren't actually, but you can't just go on the news saying someone just died and oh they were right yeah. If I die. Go on the news and just absolutely talk shit about me. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Oh, Why are we going on the news to talk about it? Well, I'm going to prison before this. We discussed this earlier. Oh, yeah. Bring us to Graham hasn't actually committed any offences under any, like, international or national law at the minute. <laughs> international law. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'm going in. And if he has, we're nothing to do with it. Yeah, yeah. We're in the clear. Which brings us to Emma. Emma at his heart is about a rich, intelligent, outspoken woman living in a world where she is not meant to be those things. Uh, by living in a quiet hamlet in the UK, she's queen of the roost, so to speak, and Austin wrote things she enjoyed talking about. She wanted over-the-top characters to break Georgian stereotypes and archetypes and mostly to have fun with it all. Yes, she wrote love stories, but she wrote them in a style which hadn't been seen before, which was interesting and not always popular with everybody. Not everyone likes work back in the day. She did the cinema storyline and tracking it runs in such a manner that Clueless dovetails with it all the time, discussing marriage, social status and nature of women's existence at the time, but also power of blind imagination and the obstacles of being openly expressive. So what's interesting is that in the 90s, when they considered adapting a film, more on that in a moment, they didn't choose to make Emma in 1990, which didn't actually come out until 1996, mm. with Gwyneth Paltrow in it. Mm. Oh. Um, I know. Oh, God, don't watch that version. Good Lord. Watch the newer version from a couple of years ago. That is much better. That's quite praised, I found out. Yeah, it is. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's called Emma. Yeah, it's yes. called Emma, and it's um, What's-A-Face from Queen's Gambit. I don't know who it is. <laughs> oh. Sorry, I'm still looking at you. Is it Anna, Taylor, Anna Joy Taylor or something like that? Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's good. It's very funny. Bill Nye plays... Oh, um, excellent. I'm, I'm in. No, that's Bill Nye the Science. Is that Bill Nye the Science no, guy? Bill, Bill no. Nye. You know, Davy Jones. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, I like him. My brain didn't... Phil from Shaun of the Dead, not yeah. Bill Nye the Science Guy. He plays, he plays hey, the, like, hypochondriac father and... Yeah, it's just, it's very good. But yeah, in 1995 instead, they got hold of Amy Huckling uh, to just to make a film. Now, if you remember the 90s, as we discussed in Ghost World, 
you know, you all love that one. Teen films were huge. Uh, in fact, they outweighed anything we have today in terms of teen cinema. Um, earning for teen audience was much higher. And today is dominated by comics and remakes of older films. That's what a lot of teen cinema is nowadays. And also bringing back classics like we recently saw with Little Women, like Anemma. You know, they're remaking the older films, but in a more traditional sense. The trend back in the 90s was to take classic fiction and put it in a modern setting. Because that's how you'd be original in the 90s. Such as 10 Things I Hate you, About You, yep. which was yeah. Taming of the Shrew. Valley Girl, which technically came out in the 80s, but it's Romeo and Juliet. Get Over It, which is about Midsummer Night's Dream. Love that one too. Ooh, Cruel Intentions, which is <gasps> Les Laisons oh. Dangereux. Um, oh my god, that's such a good one. She's All That, which was Pygmalion. Oh, yeah, great. Oh, which is Othello. Whatever It Takes, which is Serrano de Bergerac. And Edward Scissorhands, which was just basically a remake of Frankenstein. When you break it down. Or inspired oh, by Frankenstein. Again, didn't know that! <laughs> this is a really good set of films that I think would be... I feel like some of these might end I've up coming into it because I really I've like these ones. Not seen any of them. I love an adaptation. I think you'd like all of them. Yeah. Um, Cruel Especially Intentions. Cruel Intentions I Hate About You oh. great. We've seen 10 Things I Hate About You. Cruel Intentions you enjoy Scott, as well. Yeah, Cruel Intentions I love. It's and 10 Things I Hate About You. Who's the guy that killed himself? Heath Ledger. Oh, Heath Ledger in it. He didn't kill himself. No, Heath Ledger and that girl from Save the Last Dogs. Yeah, Julia Stiles. He accidentally died. Huh? Yeah, he wasn't he trying to commit suicide, no, he, he accidentally oh, died. An accidental overdose. Yeah. Oh yes, yeah. sorry. I mean, he yes. did kill himself because he did it, mm. but you know, no one's on the hook. Um, but between the mid-80s and 2001s, people were consistently looking at old texts and saying... Let's put this in high school. Well, it's a format that worked because we've seen a lot of these. Yep. Uh, yeah, I even wrote that, you know, that fucking works. Maybe <laughs> oh, we should do that. Think of an old book. Go. Go. Old book. Quick. Dracula. Yeah, yeah. High school ones. Go. That's just Demon Headmaster, right? That's Twilight. It's Twilight. Yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Major no, shots. No, because Twilight's got the shitty romance stuff going on. I don't know. And isn't Twilight. it a Fifty Shades of Grey thing? Isn't that related to Fifty Shades of Grey? No, Fifty no, Shades no, of Grey no, is the, the other way around. Yeah, okay. it was a Twilight fan yeah. fiction. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Anyway, we're going we're gonna to get it. This is what we're excited about seeing you, Yeah. We could do a Dracula film set in high school. Don't know. I'm pretty sure there is a Dracula. Yeah, there probably is. There's, uh, what other classics? There's, why can't I think of anything classic? I can only think Keep of Russian fiction, and that doesn't work in high school. Might I think be. of Pride and Prejudice modern, like a version of Pride and Prejudice modern re-adaptation. They probably must have done, done, but Someone we've not done. seen it, so we should investigate. So when Amy Heckerling was asked by Paramount to write a film for teenagers, uh, she instantly remembered the novel she had read as a teenager, Emma and decided that that would be her inspiration. And in doing so, raised once again the questions we're likely to discuss as we go through this about women's role in the 90s and how that bounced off things. What I find interesting is that so many of these stories get moved to high school, and that's because A, the characters' ages matches. You know, you take characters' ages from classical literature, usually they're 16 to 18, which fits into the high school narrative. But two, because rules and themes and dynamics we see within these stories, we kind of classify nowadays more as juvenile. I think it's a mirror of society as well, yeah. though, because you can, from where they were in those days, like in the early 1800s, your society was like these groups of different people and you would go and see these different groups of people and yeah. it was your standing. And we recognise that, like you say, as juvenile, but it's like high school, which is that is your encapsulated little world. That's your hamlet, yeah. if you will. And that's where your social standing and you move between them. Yeah. Whilst as all these things change and these themes still exist in our 30s, for many, it's amplified in youth. All of these things are way more important when you're a teenager. Whereas in your 30s, you're like, yeah, I just don't care. Austin's works have inspired, as well, many other films and books. Bridget Jones' Diary by Helen Fielding took inspiration from Pride and Prejudice. 
Goodfellas as well by Martin Scorsese. It's a 1990 film. It is said to be a dark adaption of Mansfield Park. It's the thematic nature of her writing which lends itself to adaption and the manner in which she uses dialogue instead of symbolism is why media has adapted her to the modern age. So unlike the Brontes, it makes her easier to adapt. Mm. And that's something which is quite unique about her work. Yeah, like her dialogue work is way beyond anything of that time Mm -hmm. and that's why it's so well liked and why most people read it. I thought her books are easier to read than other classical books. There there is a... um... A colloquialism to them. Yeah, like, like you say, there's more conversation in them. And whereas a lot of that time was heavy on the description, mm. like there was a lot of description yeah. going on and it was heavy. Like if you think of Little themes. Women, like yeah. dialogue wise, Little Women. Yeah, and it reminds me of like Dickens and stuff where it's a lot of hefty description and industry and things like that. Whereas mm. this is like the light, not the lighter side, yeah. but it takes you outside of the like grim reality a little bit. It's more character-based. Yeah, it is. Like, like funny characters as well. Based, yeah. Like in Pride and Prejudice, you've got... Um, oh, heck, what's his name? The, the cousin reverend. Oh, I know what you're oh. talking about. There's an Instagram account called Excellent Boiled Potatoes. And it's hilarious. It's got loads of memes about that guy. Because um, <laughs> he goes and he's like, these are excellent boiled potatoes. Mr. Sorry. Collins. Mr. Collins. That's it. Mr. Collins. Whilst you think on that. Let's go sorry. through who in the book is who in the film because obviously people have named different things. Yes. Sure. Of course, as our titular character, is Emma. Emma is wealthy, manipulative and lives with her rich father following her mother's death. Pretty straightforward. Mm. Tia is Harriet. Emma befriends Harriet Smith, making a project of her as she Harriet is lower class, and Tia is new to school and does the same with Cher. Josh is Mr. Knightley. Mr. Knightley is Emma's eldest sister's husband, so essentially, like Josh, part of the family prior to the rest of the Elton is Elton. <laughs> um, Emma tries to set him up with Harriet, but it don't work. Christian is Frank Churchill. Churchill isn't gay, um, but the book in the book is engaged to another person. So is unsuitable. Travis is Robin Martin, a farmer and unsuitable for Harriet, but ultimately the gem of the story. I think it's better. Obviously, I know at times he would never have been gay because that was just not a thing that happened. It might have um, been. She might have written it. Well, it just happened. It away. Just wasn't. Yeah, not a thing yeah. that like was casually written talked about. Down. I think, I, especially in a modern adaptation, it totally fits for him to be good friends with her, but gay. Mm. With all that said, I think it's time to dive in, question our social standing, and consider who we're rooting for in the story as we now channel my lumpy space princess impression and dive into Clueless. Sorry. That's all I could think of. I was rewatched it and I was just like, all I can think of is lumpy space princess for the entire film. Because the dialogue is just very, oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. So, like, oh my god, welcome to Beverly Hills! Oh my god, Sherry, you're so this! That's fucking Tia. They're so lit, but that's that's. She's got like a real Brooklyn accent. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Do you want me to cut that? (laughs) 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 Gold. We'll get on to later why that's also wrong, (laughs) but. So, the prettiest people, even from the title screen, this is quintessential movie of the 90s. White America and its upscale lifestyle of Beverly Hills. Everyone is primped, preened, and living their best life on their parents' dollar. These are the kids of America. This All about that 90210 zip code. The song to start it. Yeah. Her zip code's actually 90212. Oh. 
Fuck me, I guess. No, because it surprised <laughs> me because I, I was like, this is definitely 90210. 90210, yeah. But that's California. So. What, 90210? Yeah. Beverly Hills. Yeah. Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills is California. California. Oh, there we go. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> California's just. We're already broken ourselves. <laughs> uh, we introduce quickly Cher, who is our stand in for the classic Emma, and her entourage of group of high flying, fun loving people who are overshooting their privileged lives into the future of the world paying their way forward, bathing by pools, hanging out with hunks at the ice cream parlour and basking in the LA sun. But Cher is above all this and somewhat self-aware as she actually has a way normal life, she mentions as she gets up, brushes her teeth and picks out her school clothes, objectively. On her weird computer, which I never, yeah. understood, I never understood that bit. Objectively, like... we know this isn't true. <laughs> <laughs> um, she does this in, as we all know, a rich house with a computer-powered fashion matching machine in, which, <laughs> in her clothes in the mid-90s. Which is just, yeah. That's just... What they thought the future would be. I mean, considering I've made out here, like I grew up in the nineties and I didn't see a computer uh, until I was like midway through primary school. Yeah. Like, mm, well, we had one in year one. Yeah, we had one when one. I, no, we had one when I got to like year four, three or four. Yeah, I mean, nineteen ninety five. I would have been about five or six years mm. old. I'd never seen nineteen ninety five. I was two years old. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which kind of demonstrates... Note the two elders of the group. Exactly. Um, no, yeah, the, it, it denotes the sheer wealth this family has. Um, you know, this is an example of what was meant to be the power of imagination. Cher sees her world how she wants to see it. She's very bubbled. Daddy, as she calls him, Ooh. I feel uncomfortable saying. That felt uncomfortable to listen to. Daddy. Oh, <laughs> Daddy's a litigator. Oh. For those of you who don't know... I uh, felt deeply uncomfortable <laughs> with that. That's like a lawyer, right? Yeah, yeah. so those of you who don't know, he's a trial lawyer in the US. It's someone who's paid to argue. Mel Horowitz, who's a father, we found out makes $500 an hour, which is about $1,000 an hour now. Jesus. Yeah, um, I wonder they can have a nice fancy yeah. computer machine for fashion. This kid's gone bank. It's never really established what he litigates, apart from corporate law, uh, but his son's an aspiring environmental lawyer and doesn't seem to mind that too much, so we can assume... Not his actual son! Yeah! His stepson, alright. That's knows. the important part. That's still creepy. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, creepy! It is creepy! Right, we'll get on to it later. Is, oh, right. Um, I knew, I we knew. Gonna, we are going to have one of those. The patriarchy is trying to shut us down here. Yeah, disgusting. We'll get into it. Because he doesn't mind that Josh is an aspiring environmental lawyer that much, we can assume that her dad's a corporate lawyer but not a complete bastard. Yeah. Um, Cher Howard, our protagonist, is supposedly 15 year old, but where she's fully invested in one thing in her life, and that's clothes, cars, and the hierarchy of school. Which, we, you know, she's 19. Age wise as an actress, so not. No, she's not, not far she... beyond. I don't think she looks 15, though. She does not no. look 15. No. She looks older than 19. Yeah. yeah. I think she probably looks like I just said she was like 21, 22. She's wearing a lot of makeup for that movie, though, isn't she? Yeah. Let's be honest. We also learn in the first few moments she has a stepbrother, Josh, who's come to town. Despite his rough attitude, her dad expects them to get along at least somewhat. Cher is not interested yet. It's also established quick that Cher is a law unto herself. She drives without a license, hitting things along the way, and really seems a bit naive to the entire world around her. She's kept and coddled and seems to enjoy that. Charlotte Bronte once said, I should hardly like to live with the, her ladies and gentlemen in their elegant and confined houses. Crooks of this being, Emma and in Clueless, I think sums up nicely. Both the film and book do something which is, from the get-go, we're not really meant to like Cher. No. We're, we're, we're thrown into it. We kind of do that, though, because despite all of what we see, she has kind of a non-grating personality. 
to watch to be around would be an absolute nightmare. Yeah, I didn't. I thought I said before we started recording. I thought she was going to be a right dickhead. Yeah, the bits of her. She comes across as like a classic. Really early on, it's established that she really cares about her dad. Yeah. Like, I know it sounds really stupid, but like. In a lot of like self-centered movies, people don't people argue with their parents. Yeah. They don't give a shit about anyone else. They are self-centered and do a lot of the things that Cher does. But she's like a heart oh, in da- the right place. Daddy, you're not eating like the right food, so you've got to eat this because it's better for you. And you're blah, 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 blah. like, and then when her dad tells her to do something, she's like, I don't want to do that. She does it like because she if respects been, him a little bit. If it had been the same as Amber, who's the redhead. Yeah. Oh film, yeah. You would have hated her oh. completely. Yeah. yeah. Oh god. Like it's completely ringed um, because Cher's Amber the is basically she is. Emma, but without well, Cher, but without the conscience. Yeah, without yeah. the conscience, without the heart behind it. Because as much as she's frustrated, she can be self-centered and focuses on what she thinks is important. Yeah. She's doing it because she cares about these other people. Um, we then meet Cher part two, Dion, Cher's best friend, described as she's my best friend, as we both know what it's like to have people be jealous of us. She has a similar outlook on life. Diana is a little more turned on to life, though. Even in the first instance, she notices that Cher just swans through life, commenting on her driving and other such things. So we're basically set up, so if you wanted a way to think of it, if this were a Disney film, she'd be about to get a comeuppance or turn into a llama or something of that nature because of her personality and her wealth. So this also raises the question of how is Cher Emma? Obviously, comparatively to Austin's time, Cher is the main character, has more rights than Emma would in that time. At the time, Austin couldn't even sign the contract for her own book because it was illegal for women to sign contracts without a man present. So in reality, How Cher... How you cope? What, not signing contracts? In that time. If you had to be... Oh. If you were magically trying to work back at that time, I think you'd be tried as a witch. Oh, absolutely. Nice. Absolutely. I would yeah. either be tried as a witch or I would hope that I was like gentry and then you maybe... Just do what you want. Yeah, and just do what I want. Like, I'd be like riding off and just like... I don't know, but then I'd probably get murdered, so I don't know. I think mm, wow, um, that's like a 18360 spiral. I think it? there's lots of ways that you go in this time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's a lot of multiple personalities that I could take on, and I don't know which would come out. Would it be my overwhelming desire for my own life, or fear that it would get taken away from me quickly if I did disagree with the social norms? Um, so, in reality, share had no chance of being as reserved as Emma. She had to be overblown completely to emphasise the disparities within her own life. If you'd have just had like a, a kind of downplayed person portraying the same character, it just wouldn't have worked. This film has to be over the top, mm. has to be campy, just to highlight. Uh, because despite her life of luxury, she still faces the same issues women were facing in people policing her body, misrepresenting or misinterpreting her, and the social dynamic it all brings. We then meet the delightful Murray. As they arrive in school, Miss Turk. As I was going to say, that's her. Yeah, yeah, cool. You can't unsee it. No. No. They try too hard to make him look too young, I think. He's 21. He's only 21, though. Yeah, but then they they give him the the braces braces and they... I think they also make up some spots onto him. And he just looks a bit too... They've tried too, too much. But also, yeah, I could not see Turk. Yeah, it it was hard to see. He's doomed to always be Turk. But then I I felt like he could be Turk at a young age. Yeah. Yeah. I could see this being Turk. Yeah. And then growing up and becoming so. So we meet Murray as they arrive in school. Dean's boyfriend, who Cher really doesn't approve of, she thinks relationship is overdramatic, and overall the whole thing is a pointless endeavor. This is also kind of proven, though, as the couple draw a crowd as they back and forth arguing at the school entrance. There's also a really dark joke in this between them about who they're inspired by, and it's like Tina and Ike that they get compared to, and I was like, 
It's interesting, isn't it? It's, yeah. It's just yeah. That's a... why I like it so much. That's why I thought it was a good one because there are bits in that that are very intelligent. But as Brett's mm-hmm. face says, yeah, like younger people won't know Tina and I. You're right. They're not that much younger than us. You're making it sound like we're fifty. But Tina and I was the eighties. We yeah, shouldn't true. necessarily know about no, it. We no. only do because of how nice Tina Turner. So Tina oh, Turner. Okay. And I... Add the surname in. Yeah. I know who you're talking yeah. about. But we just know saying... it's Tina and I. <clears throat> Tina. Yeah. Tina Turner. Yeah. Oh, Tina Turner and I. Yeah, but like they had it's a very tumultuous rest. relationship because I used to beat her and all this kind of stuff. So to be compared to it, it's very. Cher abandons it all. She's above all the hype and ever simply has no interest in the high school boys or dogs, as she described. I don't know. That's actually the moment where I quite liked her for the first time when she's like, I don't, I'm not into high school boys. Like, I'm just doing me. Hmm. I was like, I respect that a lot. Is that a lot of thing, like, in a lot of American high school things, like, I'm not into high school boys? College boys, though. Yeah, that's that's a trope of a lot of, lot a lot of teen of cinema teen stuff. Yeah, but I feel like it's not always mentioned so ex- explicitly. It's because she has that whole thing in her head. On and again, it, it's out. very Austin-esque to make the the female characters like these. The like the men in it, do, they appear in the, um, they come in and out. Yeah. But even when you were listing, it was the women first. They were the main focus, and yeah. then it was the side characters. Like, I wonder if this would pass the uh, Bechdel test. The full trope of the teen trope is a high school girl isn't into high school boys because they're immature, but it's mainly because she's been focused on by jocks. So they'll go for college boys. That'll go wrong, and then they'll go back to the slightly weedier high school guy who's been actually God, nice. Women are written film. awfully in that, films, that's aren't they? write a teen film in the nice. It's on this note we're thrown into the school-lastic activities to learn just what's in share. Just what's in share. What is in share? Oh, what is in share? <laughs> so, so what interests share? As she doesn't worry about money, laws, or romance. So what does she actually have to say? Debating another friend. I put for Amber as a friend at this point because we hadn't established that she wasn't. Uh, she's asked if all oppressed people should have rescue in America. Share is to take the proposition, which feels like we're back to starship of discussing whether people should have rights. But share argues the point albeit in an all roundabout way, finishing with a patriotic flair which gets her applause from a very cliché cat class of um, 15-year-olds. The only one that looks 15 is Travis. I don't think I think Travis Ty is looks 15. young as well. Ty, Ty looks, looks 15. About... Like, yeah, she's got a real baby face. I think, I think probably Travis looks younger because he's um, got that, yeah, man. But he's really sweet as well. Oh, that guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember the names, but I like that guy. Travis, yeah. yeah, yeah. I love okay. Travis. He's the classic. Right. So who, for the most part, uh, the class ignored the speech, demonstrating just how popular Cher is already. Amber, her opponent, just refuses to participate. You, just, you, you can't argue against it. The class then learn of their grades for the year after, for debate. It's dramatic and a high schooler's life, especially for Cher, whose life is built on only the best, and it is shocking to her. Not as shocking as the guy who then tries to climb out the window, Travis, mm-hmm. of learning of his grade. Travis, Highlighting the drama, the drama of teams. No one seems happy about their lot in life, though, least of all Cher. On returning home, we also learn about Cher's mom. She passed away when Cher was little due to a freak leaper lipo accident. <laughs> but Cher still idolizes her and thinks of her as freak. a present for her, not to mention a beauty. Did you know how Emma's mom died? Uh... Freak lipo accident. I wish it was that. <laughs> I mean, in the 1800s, that would have been a freak lipo accident. <laughs> I'm just going to try this. So meanwhile, while Cher getting ready for the evening, Cher introduces us to Josh, who she has a huge dislike for. And we wish we could get on board with this, but it's also the absolute bay that is Paul Rudd. So oh, we- oh, love him. 
The pair do not get along. Josh is the antithesis of Cher. He's caring, or at least poses to be, looks for, looks for family and seems to be somewhat knowledgeable about the world around him. But to Cher, he's an inconvenience, a reminder of her dad's mistakes and someone else to vie for his attention, not to mention someone who highlights all of her insecurities. Fun fact, Paul Rudd auditioned for Murray, Christian, and Elton for this film. Wow. <laughs> he really, well. really he was really this. chasing it back in the day. I was going to say, right, can we just highlight right now that, like, so, yeah, he's her stepbrother, technically, but it was, like, two marriages ago, from two marriages ago. It's still weird. So, like, they're, like, separated by yeah. quite a lot. Like, of They're not actual... related in we, any way. I know and... that. I yeah. still find it creepy. It's still weird. I can explain why later on. Yeah, okay. Fine, 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 fine. Because I knew this was coming up. Would you sleep with your stepbrother if they were divorced? No. There we go. It's weird. It's creepy. But, no, hang on, that's not what I said. Because it makes sense in this film because of the comparison to Emma, who marries her cousin. Yes. Still, a cousin's different to brother, though. It's a stepbrother. Well, the mean, cousins are actually cousin related, blood, yeah. related by blood. Cousins related by blood. Like there's bloodline in there. Still, it's still still very strange. Don't do either. Well, no, I wouldn't <laughs> do either. But it wouldn't if be... it wasn't weird, then there wouldn't be like random documentaries on Channel Four about it and trying to make it more acceptable. Oh, what, marrying cousins? No, stepbrothers. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, I remember a few years ago I've been advertised on ITV. Never watched it, but I remember like. We're going to disagree on this. Keep, keep me a classy ITV. <laughs> <laughs> so Josh is avoiding his new stepfather coming to the Horowitzes to escape despite the contentious relationship and due to his drive is more positive figure in his father's eyes, something he wants for Cher. At least he knows what he wants to do, is the words Mel describes Josh as. But Cher impresses him in that she's not willing to settle for what she was given on a report card, wanting to negotiate the grade and admirable trait in a lawyer. Also, that's more commonly done in America, which again, negotiating people negotiating your grade. Yeah, not not negotiating your grade, but doing stuff to make your grade better. Yeah, like doing things for extra credit. Like, oh, can I get some extra credit to get a yeah. higher grade? Which obviously can't do in the UK. No, you get your grade. That's, kind that's of it. it. There's no, there's no arguing. Want to make this better? Well, you should. Because done that I didn't quite understand year. this when I was younger and I first watched Clueless. So I was like, why? How can she do this? That so yeah. makes no sense because it's a very American thing. Get a few extra points. But yeah, negotiation is an admirable trait in a lawyer, so obviously her father is impressed. The three interrupted by a phone call for the dad and Josh and Cher exchange some curt words, Josh calling her a superficial space cadet. And this is the crux of Josh. <laughs> he highlights to Cher what she doesn't want to know, and all she wants to know is that she's rich and well-liked. Cue the manipulation montage. Study better. She doesn't want to study. She's rich. But in America, but in America, <laughs> in America as well, like teachers can give you a grade because they like you more or less. Yeah. Like that, that teacher doesn't like her. High school's popularity contest, right? Get on board. Also, America does the bell curve thing. Yeah, that's true. What's that? Your grade can be brought down by someone else failing. They they mark it on an average. Most most American colleges and high schools do an average. So basically, the whole class averagely does better. So basically, you're in a group project for like years and years and years. Yes. Mm, so that's how they did hideous. our like predicted grades last year for everyone. Mm. Like people were getting a lot of grades lower. And it's like yeah, because on average everyone else got lower. And it's like it's not how it works. 
Yeah, but that's they sort of adopt it because they didn't know what else to do. Yeah, they also got it's, just shit. Shit. it's just shit. It's just shit way to do it. It's just a bad way to do it. <laughs> but Shafer on naivety is manipulative with it. She may not have figured out what world politics are all about, but she knows how to read people and how to use them and how to progress with that. She convinces a PE teacher to change a grade, lying about a breakup, pulling on her heartstrings. She tells her environmental teacher, Miss Geist, she'll start a letter-writing campaign, picking at her ethics. But Mr. Hall, her debate teacher, will not be convinced unconvinced by the jabber as if guys as, as if, if. environmentalism as a subject is pretty mm-hmm. feeling impotent and out of control she retreats to the place where she feels most at home the mall <laughs> me and Dion there the pair lament over their grades shopping is not helping sadly Dion suggests the root cause of it is Mr. Hall he's just a miserable man so thus there is a simple solution make him sublimely happy Here's the 411 on Mr. Mr. Hall is single. He's 47 and earns minor ducats at a thankless job. Fun fact, ducats, I had to Google, and I t- learned out is a, a currency of coin. It's like gold coins. Oh. Ducats. I would have assumed that's gold what it was. Gold coins. Yeah, so it's like piracy. Gold. Gold coins. But gold's like... Yeah, but he earns minor ducats. So he doesn't make much. It's nice, like, I, I, I couldn't go on board. But she resolves that Mr. Hall needs to get laid. I'm going to be honest, line. right? I know this has, like, got a, a, a bad motive. A bad, like, motive because she wants to improve her grade. But it's cute. This like, is it. They're both really it's, sad it's and It's a selfish intent, but actually, it's really sweet. Yeah, it goes quite wholesome. Um, so having written off 90% of the teaching staff to set Mr. Hall up with, they select the last result. Miss Geist. She becomes the chief candidate, and despite what Cher thinks of her obvious flaws, like runs in her tights, her slips always showing, and has more lipstick on her teeth than in her mouth, Cher thinks she is screaming for a makeover, and that she is her only hope. Oh, lordy. Uh, Miss Geist is not the classic example, though, of when they make her look really bad, but then actually later on she looks really pretty. Yeah. Yeah, in in her, like, end wedding dress. She's hot. She's hot. Yeah. Yeah. And thus begins the delusion of Cher. Cher is a practical person, Two respects. She, she sees a problem for herself and she'll solve it. It's not the world outside which has it right. They just don't think like she does, is simply the way to put it. She even shows her that she can see the flaws in the world, but chooses to ignore them and focus on her own world as she thinks that's the right thing. And thus, she'll enforce her worldview on everybody else. She's not trying to improve anything unless it improves her lot in life. Mm. She comes up with a scheme, writing a letter from a secret admirer, and they drop it in Miss Geist's letter drop at the school with a rose. Miss Geist discovers it, and in doing so, is happy with such a lovely touch. And fell for it. How? Surely that's like an obvious, like... We're talking about a really cliche movie here at Brett. I was about to say, this is not a film of realism. Do you think she should have been more suspicious? Yes. Okay. But it's okay, not. Sorry. Uh, I didn't feel like she should have been that suspicious. <laughs> I thought the thing is like, love that, but like, yeah, who that, I'm sorry, that tells you more about you. Shout out to Travis Birkenstock, who has also one of the best names I've ever heard in my entire life. Oh. <laughs> um, he has 38 tardies to class and thinks he deserves a round of applause. Um, he's just adorably, applause. like, precious. I just want to pat him right. tell him everything's A rounded applause. He did yeah, say a rounded applause. That's why I stopped. I'm glad he stopped, stopped speaking. I also <laughs> think you said earlier, it's a pretty flum movie. Fun? <laughs> and it baffled me for the longest time. So I'm like, did you say flum? Am I broken? Am I no, broken? I'm broken. I'm Did you say flat? This, this is what? <laughs> <laughs> Do I? Do I need to take a moment? Well, he deserves a round of applause. Deplazo. <laughs> <laughs> 
His shoulders all over him. He deserves a round of applause, not least for him giving an impromptu and unwarranted speech off the back of learning that he has 38 times. But during yet another debate in her lifestyle, this time on the subject of her own lateness to class, Cher gets Mr. Hall's attention by mentioning Miss Geist has supposedly spoken of him fondly, and this, of course, makes him smile. I think here is a good point to make a comparison between everyone's favourite ghost world. As on the surface, this is the same deal as Seymour being run by the personals, but a stark difference is despite this being a TJ teenage act for selfish reasons, she has version of the only person she's tying with, she'll get something in re- return. This is not a prank. I yeah. just realised that me and you have picked what is essentially the antithesis yeah. of each other mm-hmm. in the same form, and it's the most me and you thing that could have happened. <laughs> Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. 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 This is manipulative and overbearing, sure, but it's not mean-spirited. I think this is the scene. Can we, be, can we just make a really quick, like... Because we've not really talked about the clothing very much. I'm sorry yeah. if that's a bit... No, no, that's the scene important. where she's wearing the pink, fluffy, what looks like a dressing gown to school. Like a fancy dressing gown with that fluffy pen. Yeah. Uh, or is that where she meets Christian for the first time? I no, can't no, remember. Christian for the first time is a white dress. But yeah. the outfits oh, is, are, yeah. like... She goes through some interesting outfits. Yeah, we... And we Dion wears some interesting hats. Interesting good, interesting bad, or just I interesting... I think it's very good. 90s. Very, yeah. like, wouldn't probably get away with wearing them now. Yeah, but then some so of the packed. outfits, like we were saying, are around, like, they're popular again, like, the checked... Yeah, yeah. ...blazers yeah. and skirts and things like that. Are, like, I saw someone walking past the other day, and they were younger, and they were wearing, like... They looked like they could have been in Clueless. It's... Well, incredibly come back around. I didn't write in my script. I did read this morning was the... So the budget for clothing for mm-hmm. Dion Cher for this film is $200,000. But all of their clothing isn't actually couture. It's mm. not pricey clothing because the designer who went through it was basically like, right, so these people are rich, but they're also mall kids. Mm. They're kids who go to the mall all the time. So everything they wear should be available from like a mainstream store. It's just very mm. well coordinated. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that's an interesting fact. This should have been the fun fact to the start. Mm. I guess it could have fit in fit into them. But this fits nicely because I mentioned the the outfits that, that she chooses. But well, interestingly, right, doesn't look particularly slotty in any of them. They're quite like well done. It's yeah. like sexy, but well done. Which kind of reflects her, I'm not trying to attract... Comparative I... to Amber, who does look kind of slutty. Yeah. Who wears, I'm surprised men have Russian looking hats as well. I love that. She wears a lot of the like weird tall hats. This night in America, if you're going to make an enemy, enemy you're going to make them look Russian. Yeah, good point. Good point, good point. That's actually a really good point. <laughs> You know, if you want someone to hate, probably the Russians is. Amber is not attractive. FYI, well. nothing wrong with looking slutty. Nothing wrong with no, looking slutty. No, 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 I'm just saying that <laughs> it's actually a nice trope that they didn't yeah. go for, yeah. like, super really... They didn't make, like, popular girls also equal Because they sex. make a point of when she wears the white dress with the really low cut and it's really short, that her dad goes, oh my god, what are you wearing? Like... Mm. And then she puts a coat on, which is see-through. Yeah. Which I thought was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to put a coat over it, Daddy. Just doesn't, just doesn't work. See-through coat, like she's a... Uh... Theme park and get those cheap. Like a plastic cookie. Oh, love those. Get another love phone, get another one pound poncho. And it's all soaking wet. Yes. Yeah, because it's just a big hole. It doesn't keep anything sealed at all. Just a sheet with a hole at the bottom and a hole at the top. Cher has been getting driving tickets for driving. Yeah, getting tickets for driving. That's the way to say that. (laughs) Something which prompts her father to ban her for driving. The shock of it all. How dare he? Uh, she takes it on the chin, though, as she has a back to have a licensed driver in the car at all times. So, of course, she, she has someone in mind already. Josh. I also realise this film is a satire. Mm. But how cool does Paul Rudd look hanging out by the side of a pool? Oh, oh nice. Yeah. Like, dressed in black, shades, reading Nietzsche, growing a goatee. 
it's I'm the, pre- sure it's it's the pretension well. of an early twenties graduate who's just thought he's learned everything yes. of the world. He, he looks great doing it. Modern day standards, a proper neckbeard. Proper neckbeard. But it's Paul Rudd, so he still looks good. Doing it. Can I just also make a quick flight mention? Mm. Is that no one really mentions, other than her calling her by a name which obviously isn't really clear, that Paul Rudd has a girlfriend this whole time. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's, I know. They literally share mentions once. Oh, blah, blah, blah. I can't remember her name. That's how like pointless she is. But you don't know if it's girlfriend or it's just a date. Never ever alluded to it as full girlfriend. So it could just yeah, be that he was, on, he was on that date. Yeah. But yeah, he also reminded me of, if you've ever seen um, Iron Giant, he yeah. looks a lot like the artist character in that. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Dresses, dresses very similar. Very similar. Somehow, Josh agrees mainly to shut share up. And we get an interesting car ride. We really see how disconnected she is. She doesn't want, want to learn to park because everywhere has ballet. <laughs> yeah. That's expensive. Which is very expensive if anyone's ever done ballet parking in America. Um, she's driving on the wrong side of the road, but it's because she's wearing platforms. And really, Josh actually looks concerned at the level of ignorance at this, at this point in time. He reveals he, he's going to a tree people meeting with Marky Mark. Oh, Marky Mark! Which, for anyone who's quite <laughs> young, Wahlberg. if you don't know, yeah, is the 90s nickname for Mark Wahlberg. Because he was part of Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Oh, yeah. You'll see the next size video. That's, that's some <laughs> did good he? Yeah. He, did, he did so that's much. As Marky Mark. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he's, he's, he's really managed to reinvent himself. Yeah, he has. He's the guy who does those Transformer films. Yes. <laughs> Josh comes in hard again as Cher attempts to redeem herself. He points out everything she does is out of her interest, never anyone else's. The breaking for animals, the donating outfits, the romance she's trying to set up, all of it is self-serving. But it's enough to get to her, and sitting with Dion at lunch is bothering her. Shout out to Coke, Minute, Na- Minute Maid, and Nair, who clearly sponsored oh, that shop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there is a lot of sponsors. Uh, uh, nah. It's like a hair removal. Oh, yeah. yeah. They still. Oh, I yeah, do my yeah, tash yeah. with that. Yeah. It's great. Um, and Dion suggests Josh is going through his post adolescent idealistic phase, which some of us are still stuck in. I was about to say, <laughs> that sounds like a lot of things that people go through. Like, that is a very, very clear cut um, description of what I just said about 30 seconds ago in this, but probably 20 minutes in real lifetime. Yeah. Um, so this is shot though as the pair spot Mr. Hall and provide him spot. spot Mr. Hall and provide him <laughs> What are you <laughs> This happens every time we do it and you guys ignore We're, it. But apparently it's today. Yeah, normally we get oh, through it, but it's because Flon Flon's husband. Normally We've all got like computers with us and we can be looking to the front like fun fact and slightly distracted and we can let it go whereas we are really focused. Focused. So they provide him with free coffee to take to Miss Geist and thus sets them up further, sparking a mutual interest between her and Mr. Hall with subtle manipulation. The way to most hearts, I'm told, is through coffee. She really like sells the type of brand of coffee. It's like it's a uh, something roast of I just don't want it. So what confuses me is she says she takes it because she picked up her father's flask instead of hers, but hers just had orange juice, which suggests she was keeping orange juice in a thermos. <laughs> Can you imagine her dad at a business meeting? We got coffee, just pulls out a mug of orange juice. Everyone must be looking like, what the fuck are you doing? Also, I'm going to say another thing that I found weird about this movie, but I think again it's because of the British thing, is that teachers outside of school or class are weird when you're a kid at school. Yeah. Like, teachers. Having relationships with other people, yeah. weird. Like teachers in the supermarket, weird. Out of context, like, yeah, because you just 
it's your whole it's in America they are more they seem to be more friendly with their mm. teachers yes. and stuff. So two experiences I, mean, I had more friendly with their teachers. Was, one was um, doing a paper round and a history teacher who cycles every morning and full light comes in like hello I'm just like hello sir and he's like that's gonna be sir outside of school and I'm like I'm not gonna call you David that's the weird <laughs> hello and the David. second one was um, <clears throat> shout out to David saw a teacher getting out of a car going into a house and then on the wall next to her car there's a thing saying Playboy Bunny lives here and it's like Oh, that's not what you want to see from your teacher. The third one is when you saw your old head teacher in a band. Oh yeah, that was another weird experience. Just like twenty years after primary school, just being like, "You were the head teacher at primary school." Yeah. <laughs> oh, moving right. on. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Good. Good combo. And just like that, just like magic, <laughs> their grades improve. Um, yeah, this is some bullshit, by the way, knowing different teachers, having been a kid of a school worker as well. Relationships, good or bad for teachers, do nothing to improve grades and only impact negatively on the class. Stay single, teachers. Like, relationships, wow, single teachers. Like, very fast. Really are you, are you okay? Did you, you, you have a bad experience when two teachers got together that you've now sort of tarred every teacher with? I've had several bad experiences with several different teachers and then watched that unfold in the teacher's lounge. Ooh. and how they affect the students because being the mum was a teacher assistant used to hang out in those places and yeah it just it never ends well like, that sounds two steps from a porno you should never <laughs> keep your pen on the top don't date in school we've all been burned by that before that said uh, the teachers soon become a couple and both become much more lenient with their grading Cher manages to work hope her grade to an A-, greatly impressing her father, who isn't happy that she got good grades, but is happy she manipulated her way to them. Either way, she basks in the admiration of the student body, whose grades also improve. Just for a shout, if you, if you drank every time you saw a cell phone in this film, you'd be wasted. There's at least, like, 50. Yeah, just, like, a flip-out, aerial-out, every time you see that, you'd be shit-faced by this point. Were flip phones a thing? No, they weren't a thing yet, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they should Yeah, they weren't, like, Yeah, but phones. they were massive. It was massive. just plastic pieces. Yeah. Oh, like, a little bit of the bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not, yeah. like... It was to Basically protect a the screen. Yeah. Not, yeah. like, no. a razor. No, 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 yeah. It was just that weird, like, plastic bit that went over the keys. It was, like, a Sony Ericsson oh. Genie, like, which used to have, like, a flip-out. Oh, the Matrix phones where, the, like, the cover drops down. <laughs> I still want one of them. Who doesn't? Like, well, they've got those weird new folding ones that just a screen that yeah. folds Yeah, breaks so easily. Yeah. <laughs> weird. Uh, so, running on these views, though, uh, Cher, despite starting for selfish reasons, decides to do more good for the world, impose further her ideas of what is right. And thus, during a tennis lesson where very little tennis is occurring, we meet mm. Ty, Ty Frazier. Ty is a grungy artist and has no idea of high school hierarchy, nor any real interest in it, having been transferred to Cher's school from presumably New Jersey, judging by the accent. Miss <laughs> Graham's like left it in. <laughs> um, Charlotte did a intense Brooklyn impression in of a Brooklyn <laughs> Brooklyn <laughs> accent. Oh my God, Cher! Oh my God! That's what she sounds like. She sounds like she's got like a plumbing mouth or something. Yeah, but not like how we would. Just insulting. And she New does Jersey. a lot of this. Like when she just insulting New Jersey. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, because it's a very good accent. New Jersey are really going to go hard on us now. <laughs> Sorry if you are. I'm not taking the piss. I'm trying my hardest. Is that I can confirm she is. It's the same accent. I don't know if you've seen uh, Marvel Wall Street. No. Or no. the Harley Quinn 
in the no. new yeah, yeah. films. This is, that she's meant to have the same accent. Okay, yeah, 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 I can see accent. that. Very yeah. like. Yeah, you're right. She talks like a polar mouth, but also as I, I didn't really, you can't see. She d- does move her head a lot when she talks. Mm. Or Joey's sisters from Friends. They were yeah, all the same. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but the girls instantly take a dislike to her. She's clueless, being the phrase she decides to adopt, despite what it, it would do to her reputation. It mimics Josh asking Di, "Doesn't she want to use her popularity for a good cause?" Yeah. It's interesting though. Do you know what I think is really clever about the filming of this movie? There's clearly other people like Ty at the school, yeah. but they don't show any of them. Mm. Until then, later on, she's talking about through the school hierarchy, and she's like, yeah. "Those are like the wasters that do weed all the time, and blah 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 blah." And like, I think it's really clever the way they film it because even when they're doing the classrooms in the shots, they've always just got her, the guy behind, the guy or girl behind to the left and right, the guy behind like that. Like, it's very clever the way you're like, these people, other than obviously Travis, must exist. We got only showing a very limited amount of them, but that's like the. That's like Emma, that's like Austin novels where you might have other writers like George Eliot at the time who she was writing and they were these massive novels of different levels of hierarchy and farmers and things. Whereas Austin was this incredibly small snippet of one family and a couple of different relationships and that and that's it. And it's good like parallel. Yeah. But I I also want to give a shout out to the late Brittany Murphy because she, she passed on and is an absolute chameleon of an actor. Like... I didn't recognise it was Brittany Murphy. You look confused. Right. I don't recognise the name. Brittany Murphy? Brittany Murphy's in loads. She's in a lot of things. She's a very good actress. And she's very good in this film. I can't believe you didn't realise it was her, but it was one of her she's first... She's It was one of her first movies, I think. Yeah, so she's in Girl Interrupted, if you ever watched Girl Interrupted. Um, mm. She's the voice of Luan in King of the let Hill. Me. Yeah, let oh. me. Yeah, she, she's one of these characters, she appears in a lot of things and she was really huge. The star sign is Scorpio, if anyone wanted to know. I like knowing those things, so thank you. But yeah, she, she's been in a lot of things and she, she always absolutely nails the part mm. that she, she does. It's funny, she's probably one of these people that I've seen in films I've seen. Yeah. yeah. Right. But the names does not ring. Just much. Married, Clueless, yeah. Eight Mile, Girl Interrupted, mm-hmm. um, Something Wicked, Abandoned, King of the Hill, Megafault Deadline, Across the Hall, Tribute, Futurama. Yeah. Yeah, it's just voices in that. Happy Feet. She's, she's in a lot. Loads. Yeah. Okay, I'll take it back. Maybe I haven't seen Sin City. <laughs> Sin City? Yes, in Ohio. Oh, who's she in Sin City? The police officers, the, 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 the cop who's dating right. is getting I'm going to show you a picture of her and you'll now realise potentially she's. I didn't know that. That's pretty good. What do you mean? Did you change that? Yeah, she did. Mm. Accidentally yeah. overdose. Yeah. Did her. It was either her husband died before or after her. Yeah. Did he die just before her? Yeah, he died, yeah. and then soon after she accidentally overdosed. Yeah, it was really sad. Can I just say something really quickly, because I know some things about drugs, but because I used to be a worker of drugs. People get, have accidental overdoses when they try and get clean. They stay clean for a while, and they go back to drugs, and then they die. Mm. It's really common for people to have been like, it happened to Peaches Geldof. She hadn't used like um, heroin in a really, really long time. What about her? And then she used it, and then because the tolerance is no, nowhere, they, mm. they go over. It's a real shame. Yeah. But in adopting Ty as it were, um, they show her around, splitting up the sex of high school cliques, which it took me three attempts to expel, and I still spell that wrong. Um, I would bet good money, by the way, that literally no one in this film is 15 as we glide through that cast of characters, because even the extras, none of them look 15. No. Like, which kept it consistent, Yeah. but, yeah, it was weird. Um, so there's the TV crew, the Persian Mafia, the Popular Boys, which thus brings up the conversation again of which is Cher with, and she suggests this is a huge shock, but Dion suggests Cher has attitude about high school boys. Tia is literally the only one who seems age-appropriate. Like, Tia looks 50 to me. 
Tie. Tie. Yeah. Tie looks 15. Like, I don't think like anyone else looks 15, but she does. I don't know as well because she's quite short. Yeah, there is that. Mm, she is quite And she does, she's one of those people who has a baby face. Picking up that the others talk in overly large words as well, giving exposition to literally every interaction they have. Uh, I noticed this too. Um, it's kind of like a style of over-explaining, which is nice because Austin's work is so dialogue-heavy. Everyone in this seems to, bar Tia, have almost... Tie. Roughly, tie. I've written Tia, and it's going to happen <coughs> over and over again. Um, <laughs> it seems to do this apart from Ty. Um, and the most closest thing I could think to it, which is similar to this, is Gilmore Girls. Everyone seems to have full knowledge of all popular culture and everything going on around them. Um, it also happens in Kevin Smith films, but that's different because they all have a very specific set of popular culture references. Shout out to Gilmore Girls. I respect, yeah. Shout out to Gilmore. I respect that show. That dialogue. I just love Lorelai. Oh, yeah. I just wanted to be happy. I just love the dialogue and the movement of it. Has anyone seen Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? Because that's written by Amy Sherman Palazzino. And it's amazing. It's got the same pace and the characters she writes are incredible. Yeah, it's on Amazon Prime. It won loads of Emmys. There's other streaming sites available. Yes. Yeah. We're just advertising streaming sites. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. Like, well, no, we did have an Amazon delivery that sounded like we were doing it as uh, sponsored. And now we've mentioned Amazon oh, Prime. Twice. It's the door. You can watch it on Amazon Prime. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned it about Emma as well. You said it was on Prime earlier. <laughs> there are other streaming sites available. But if you use one, make sure it's but Ty is not a friend. She is a project to these people at this point. Ty almost instantly takes a liking to Travis Birkenstock, class tardy leader, bonding over mutual grunge affections in the cafeteria. Discussing Ty's drawings, Travis's deck, they get to know each other. Ty, excited by the encounter, rushes over to tell the duo. He's cute, funny, and right off the back offered her weed. Isn't, she like, isn't he like, you draw Martin the Martian? He's like, absolutely. She's yeah. like, look at these. He's like, Martin the Martian or Marvin the Martian? Oh, I call him Marty, don't I? Yeah. Marvin. 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 I was going to say, yeah. that's disgusting. I hate that you said that. I've always, I've always called him Marty the Martian. Oh my God, what's wrong with me? Sherry's not impressed. She looks down on the stoners and their lifestyle and sees them as the punchlines of the world they live in. And in doing so, she convinces Ty... Not to pursue the situation. They coerce her into a makeover despite her reservations, and Dion sums it up nicely. Cher's main thrill in life is a makeover. It gives her a sense of control in a world full of chaos, and that's Cher all over. She can't control everything and can't understand the world around her, but she can spend money and go superficial with it. And get I love how Dion is a real, like, whip-smart kind of... Yeah. She knows what's going on. She figured it out. Mm. Figured out the world. At the same time, time is really basic with her boyfriend. When they're there together, she acts real basic. Well, no, she doesn't know because she calls him out on like everything. Everything. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah. And then they have debates about it. Yeah, which are also really cool. Though I did notice, like, because he he calls like he calls the young woman throughout the entire. Oh thing. yeah, no, I love that scene calls... though. But that happens in Scrubs as well. Um... His character does that in Scrubs as well. Yeah, I love that scene where he, where he she's like don't. <laughs> Like, like seen him in anything else. Yeah. <laughs> I like that point. Like, they have that. It, they have a really intelligent debate, which, considering they're fifteen, shows that they go to good schools and they yep. are very mm -hmm. switched on. Yeah, it doesn't. Uh, it says, G, you guys, I've never had straight friends," which is not what it means, by the way. Straight in this context means not high. Straight edge. Look yeah. you the makeover montage. Cher leads Ty in after-school workout sessions, guides her in cultivating a new wardrobe, and expands her lexicon with trendy vocabulary. 
all of this Ty pushes against but Cher plows on under the eyes of Josh who isn't on board with all he's telling her she's attempting to corrupt an innocent girl into a superficial brat but Cher maintains she's doing out of kindness that Ty will be better for it I want to do something good for humanity Josh retorts with how about sterilisation I love the fact that how much Ty cracks up over that line as well Mm. because it shows that Ty's actually intelligent and Mm. understands what's going on but the kids at school take immediate notice but Ty still is interested in Travis as he hands her a flyer for his next pie but her new friends again railroad her this time Elton one of the popular popular guys who I hate immediately by the way oh yeah Elton's an absolute prick this is the deck under the car uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But like hugs her in class and stuff as well, and always always really handsy with her. What's interesting though is that they don't notice Ty because of what she's interested in, and the girls don't try to pick someone based on what Ty's interested in, but simply what the boy can offer Ty in terms of standing. And this is where the manipulation takes a turn as Cher begins to try once again her role at matchmaking. Through a series of orchestrated interactions, Cher gets Ty and Elton to notice each other. Ty is giddy with excitement, and while Elton is surprisingly receptive, he pays more direct attention to Cher. So Ty gets introduced to Daddy, who is always warm and friendly, yet yelling at Ty to get out of his chair, complaining about the food. He is? <laughs> get out of my chair. Oh, well, Cher says he's warm and friendly, and the first thing he does is like, get out of my chair. <laughs> What are you doing? Ty calls, and the plan seems to be working on Elton, and puts Ty's picture up in his locker. And once again, we're going to a party. The last one we went to was in Little Women, which seems to be a trope of the classics, because a social event was the main thing mm. within classical literature, it would seem. Uh, a dance is the only time they could legitimately touch the opposite sex. Mm. Unless they were poor, and then they could do whatever they want. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> it feels like it seems so backwards. Like... Mm. Yeah, I know. Rich, <laughs> it's funny because being rich would afford you fre- certain freedoms, but being poor, is that, um, more social freedoms when you're yeah. poor. Afforded you, yeah, social freedoms. Because that comes with the whole British nonsense of fucking manners and bollocks. Sorry, that's my whole take on that. So again, manners and bollocks. It is all a pomp and ceremony, isn't it? It's all just yeah. nonsense. Oh, yeah. But weirdly, now, the richer you are, you can Class. touch whoever you like. That's, that's, that's <laughs> I didn't realise that's what stuff. you were reaching for. Yeah, sorry. Red brain don't work sometimes. And the bollocks of class. <laughs> a real anarchist inside me. Oh, it's <laughs> a proletarian. Teacher, bollocks to class. Chewing <laughs> 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 the plot. School classes, what? Fucking class in general. Bollocks to it. So, Second class place, fuck you. Cher gives Ty no end advice for the party, namely make Elton come to you and leave him wanting more. I'm blindsided by Travis. Who Does it work as <laughs> Offering to grab her a beer as soon as he sees her. Travis knows how to host a party, right? Oh, yeah. They it's Travis's party. It's Travis's yeah. party. Nice. They oh. are up. First thing he does is offer Ty a beer. Yeah, he's yeah. lovely. He's like, such a absolutely. sweet guy. And he worries about everything. And no, he's the sweetest person. I love him. Murray, of course, hits the dance floor straight away and begins dancing with someone who isn't dear. Mm. Um, sparking an early argument, and Cher and Ty take a lap before settling down on where they should pose. During a drive-by insult to Amber, though, Cher gets beer spilled on her shoes by an overexcited Travis, who makes amends by offering them both weed. Again. <laughs> what a what, gentleman. What a guy. Uh, which is, because, which is, you know, it brings up the point as well, they're at a party, so Cher's okay with it. You know, mm. you get high at parties, you don't get high all the time. Elton comes over, but namely so he can get a toke. Um, after dancing on his own, and then steals a kiss from Cher during a party game. Which I have a fun fact about. They had to fake that. Because they couldn't get the card to stick to the actor's lips. So there's actually, they've got gloss on the lips. 
so they could oh. actually stick. Oh. Because it oh, just wouldn't they adhere. Suck the card. Yeah, they sucked the card, but they couldn't get it to stay, and it was failing too many times for the take. So they, they just started to use like lip balm and gloss. Oh, well, there we just go. Suck harder. Title Some for people this can't. <laughs> <laughs> Murray, ever the life of the party, is meanwhile getting his head shaved in the bathroom <clears throat> because he's keeping it real. <laughs> <laughs> keeping it real, woman. <laughs> This boils over though as Dion hates it and threatens to call his mother. I love that! I love that moment! What a thing to do at a party! Uh, it's keeping it real, man! It's so weird. Actually, no. So the next time we go to a pie, I'll shave your head. Oh, I've shaved the guy's head in a pie. I've been to parties like that where there's lots of random shit like that going on. New Year's Eve, I, I shaved really George's really head. head. I wasn't really a pie kid. Mm. I guess. Uh, mm. Oh, I was a social media! Can I shave your head on next party? Yes. We've got any hair left. Sure. Cool. Nailed it. <laughs> Go for it. Um, we show your head at the next party. Next time we have a party. Whole 2023. Whole head, beard, eyebrows, mustache. <laughs> Shell will kill me if I do that to you. No, I mean you. <laughs> oh my god, Wait, you got like room. three days to do that? <laughs> Shaving me would take a while. Challenge accepted. Yes. Guy, a guy, uh, <laughs> the guy at school, uh, he's, a bit of a, he's a bit of a weird kid. Six one here. Who's the Travis? Is he the Travis? N- no. Weirder. Like, yeah, weirder. Okay. And uh, he went to a party and someone shaved half his eyebrow. So he did. Shaved his head, shaved both eyebrows off. <laughs> and he did not grow facial hair and he, yeah, it did not, he just looked like Look an egg. egg. Just yeah. Look at it, yeah. I'm going to say the nicest way possible, but it's not really a nice way to say you look like an egg. Ty and Cher, however suitably baked, decide to go for a dance and bump into people, as they describe it, avoiding the whole situation, and really the first thing they've agreed on in a while. You know, Ty keeps getting pushed. Travis once again makes an entrance. Crowd bombing. (laughs) Ty is impressed, but then Ty is easily impressed, as we keep establishing, and wishing she could be as cool as Travis. But then, if girls did that, then what would guys do to impress them, is what Travis says. Ever the logical thinker. I thought he's only saying that to impress Ty. Yeah. yeah. And he's also drunk and high, I can only assume. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. yeah. Absolute mad lad. Yeah. <laughs> Ty is stolen by Cher, Cher for a dance. Char. But oh. during the fun... I, I literally wrote Char. That's what I <laughs> Doing myself. Did you Ty. Like Spock? Probably. <laughs> Ty is stolen by Cher for a dance, but during the fun, a wasted shoe... A wasted shoe... <laughs> I originally wrote a wasted shoe. Oh, you got Char, shoe, tear, yeah. the cast of the film. I'm going to try this again and try and make it work. So, stolen by Cher for a dance, but during the fun, a wasted girl kicks off a shoe and clacks her in the head, and out she goes. Travis is worried and shows genuine concern, whilst Elton, too, shows a little caring, carrying her from the kitchen and nursing her head, but namely under the direction of Cher. He only does it because she says so. He's trying to do it just to impress her, Yeah. Taking her back out to a dance soon afterwards. Is what happens as well. Gets her there, she's like, you're okay? Yeah, cool, come dance. Yeah. Puke and rally. But these are overdrive belly girls, so. Yeah, true. Um, and also, heels her. Mm. Mm. Yeah. That's a big shoe. This gives Cher a chance to dr- wander away from the party ruckus. And she gets a phone call from her dad, who tells her that she needs to go home or else. And thus, Cher, Ty, Elton all wander from the fun. But it then becomes clear Elton has other plans as the group gets separated into different cars. Such a fucking dick. Yeah, Greg got really angry at this. Like, really angry. But what happens next? Elton then monopolises on Cher, being alone with him, and makes a pass at her. He's persistent, and the situation erupts, and again shows how the blinkers have been on Cher so often. 
misinterpreting everything she's seen and done only to fit her view of what she was doing. She can't even understand why Elton couldn't be into Ty. And in a mirroring moment, he reveals he and her are a lot alike, reading the world for their own gain, how they see things instead of what's good for the people around them. Elton then pulls the ultimate dick move. After trying to make one final pass, Cher turns him down and gets abandoned at the junior market. Alone, she is almost immediately mugged at gunpoint and is forced to call Josh from a payphone to come pick her up. Can I just... Talk about the brazenness of I'm not laying down in this dress is Gucci or whatever it is. Oh, I love that. I was about to say, she has some balls on her. Yeah. I know it's only to protect the dress, but... It's I'm amazing. She's like, I'm not laying down. I'm not laying down. It's Gucci. And Florence like, I'd rather not. It's like a $300 dress. Yeah. And he's like, don't give a fuck. Give me a dollar. And she's like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. You got me. They both kind of do It's kind of like a weird, like... As far as muggings go, that went well. Yeah. <laughs> he, he got what he wanted and no one died no or one stabbed. Died. No one got shot. <clears throat> the dress is okay. The dress is okay. As far as you know. Um, so for Emma, I do have a quote of the situation which also kind of occurs in Emma. Um, the first error and the worst lay her at the door. It was foolish. It was wrong. To take so active a part in bringing any two people together, I was adventuring too far, assuming too much, making light of what ought to be serious, a trick of what ought to be simple. She was quite concerned and ashamed and resolved to do such things no more, which is Emma reflecting on trying to set people up. Fun fact about this, Paul Rugg was actually mugged during the production of... No! Um, Not Paul Rugg! His backpack was stolen containing the script. If you saw a film set, though, and you saw a loose bag... Yeah. If you saw Paul Rudd, you Not saying I would steal. <laughs> Charlotte has not broken any laws Lord. that we know of or international laws. Domestically or international. <laughs> if she has, we have no prior knowledge. And, and I, was only two, I was only two when this was filmed, so it definitely wasn't me stealing it. So safe to say, despite her outlook on life, Cher is a bomb. She's been sexually harassed, robbed, and ruined a dress. Kind of. Josh does the right thing. He stops canoodling with his girlfriend and goes to get her, canoodling. despite not having an exact location oh, for her. Grandpa. <laughs> canoodling. Canoodling. Stop canoodling on me. Oh, banging. It's in Toby. <laughs> You've got real swings and roundabouts here because one minute you're like, this is so close to pornography with these 15 year olds, but these guys are just canoodling. I do like that the. Um, he can tell, though, she's like quite desperate, isn't she, in the call, yeah. he's like, okay, this is serious, I need to He's a good lad, aren't he? He's a good egg. It's the right I also, thing I also think that when he saw her kind of teaching high the words, he was like, I like her. Yeah, heart's in the right place. So despite not having an exact location for her, just somewhere in the valley, it's a turning point for both of them, despite their differences. For the first time, Cher seeing a world which isn't tailored to her, but also gets an insight into Josh's world as his date tries to quote Hamlet, but Cher is able to correct her and sees the movie Hamlet and remembers it. I love that bit. I mm. love that moment. She's like, because doesn't like earlier on when he's like, poor if like, oh, she's stu- not stupid, like she's mm. a bit stupid. Mm. And obviously he's a bit like, when she gets the quote right, right? I feel like she's one of those people who you get in art schools, which is she's really intelligent, but acts dumb to mm. fit in with friends. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Don't be that guy. Don't just be own, that guy. Just own your intelligence. If you're going to be anyone in this film, be Travis. Mm, I mean, he's pretty Josh. cool. Yeah, if you're going to be anyone in this but film, don't be yeah. <laughs> 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 I knew it was coming. <laughs> so she's not real weird, but she's pop culture informed, which, you know, is enough for nowadays. Um, so even growing a little jealous of Josh and Heather's dynamic. I was even annoyed at him. They make... What? Heather, that's her name. The, the that's goalies. what I said, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just saying that. I oh, I thought you were correcting it. It was like a, <laughs> a realisation. Ah, okay, Heather. Yeah. 
So even annoyed at him, they make up with a kiss whilst Cher sits in the car. <coughs> My life is turning into a bigger disaster than Malibu. <laughs> don't know what Malibu did to her, but <laughs> it's a disaster. I just <laughs> love that the overall... <laughs> I just love that the overarching like vibe of this film is a lot of it is just ugh, ugh. that's it like big eye roll ugh do and we, I just love that. Do we know what the Malibu is a reference to? It's no. just she's just Malibu is a disaster. They live in Beverly Hills. Yeah, I, was gonna say, I have a feeling oh, okay. Malibu like tries to be Beverly Hills and is like, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. I don't know enough. Different. Anyone who wants to comment on this video yeah. or will podcast and say anything, like feel free. Where is Malibu? California. California. Right? It's, it's just right, another. It's yeah, where, it's it's where Tony Stark another... has his house. Oh, I, for some reason I was thinking Florida. Mm, let me no, just that's find. Miami. Uh, Welcome to Miami. Which apparently is a dump because of Florida. Mm. It turns out like Malibu probably at the time is more now, but was like an up and coming middle class place. So uh, people, yeah. So, uh, so new rich. New rich. And if you're old rich, you're not going to like them. But wait, it gets worse. So she tells Ty what happens and. It basically breaks Ty, who seems to have almost 100% transitioned into a Beverly Hills personality at this point. Mm. Worrying about her hips and why he may not like her, despite Cher and Di's support, she's not convinced. It's not a worry, though, as Christian Slater films are out in the world and food, so the later the three convene in a restaurant to check out a waiter and eat breadsticks. Which, I've never been to an Olive, Ga- Olive Garden, but I just assumed this was Olive Garden because there was breadsticks involved. Yeah. And this is also, from what I read, meant to take place in a diner. But they felt like the characters wouldn't fit in a diner. No, no. Um, they tried to get it at Pizza Hut, but because they were discussing penises in this conversation, Pizza Hut weren't comfortable being represented that way. We can't do that because you can't discuss penises in our restaurant. The only meat you can discuss is our meat feast pizza. It's here we learn a little bit more about the girls. Dion has never gone all the way with her boyfriend, so he's a virgin in a technical sense. Though satisfied, as she puts it. Um, Tia has opinions about wang shape. Ty. Ty has opinions about wang shape. But Cher, well, Cher is a virgin flower. I feel really, like, I I don't know how other people will feel about this. I don't know about you. But like, at that age, if, if I was quite self-conscious that other people only would have sex. Yeah. And that, that, and that and also, you haven't really, if you haven't seen a penis, and also, cool. back in 95, it's not like you could have, like, now, it, you could Google it. Like, yeah. you'd figure it out. Whereas... Even our age, like, you, you <coughs> didn't really know until you saw what, like, seeing it in person is very different for the first time, that one-eyed monster. Thank God, fuck, I was more interested in... I think that's, I'm wondering if it's a girl thing, that's why I looked at Jen and I had that conversation. I don't, I don't, I don't appreciate your laughter, though, as well, to that, Graham. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> what you said. I don't give a... I don't give, I don't give a, a fuck. <laughs> There's a scene in Community, which is kind of all about this, where um, yeah. Alison Bree's not seen a penis before. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that is a good episode. Alison Brie is another person that's a lot older than you think she is, and she looks really young. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Cher is a virgin flan out, no foreplay or anything. Hymenly uh, oh, challenged, as it's oh, described. I hated that. <laughs> um, her ostracizing of the other sex has run deep, and she's waiting, as she puts it, for the one. Cher is scheming again, wanting to help the now slightly unstable Ty. I don't get how guys dress today. That's the phrase she thinks of when looking for a, a friend. A friend. Oh, yeah, sort of wearing like jeans around her butts. Yeah. Uh, which, having looked through a recent ASOS catalogue as well, I can relate to that statement. Apparently, I have no idea what people look like because I was shocked by what I found in ASOS. The amount of guys of sin wearing like really tight, flesh coloured trousers today. I'm concerned. Yeah, that's a, we that's actually a thing saw a guy, You can see We actually saw everything. the outline of guys wearing today. It's bad enough when you go to Comic-Con and people wear morph suits without anything covering up. So we're basically just walking around with a big old... Trouser snake. Trouser snake. 
thing is, I realised today that there is like a BuzzFeed article about people who are our age about why we're uncool now and things that we like why we're uncool. And I just thought we've reached that age where when we were younger yeah. and we looked at our parents and we're like, oh my God, that's so uncool. And now I'm like, we're here. It's happened. Officially that age where we can't what? reference things. Yeah, we can't reference things. And it. they think we're uncool for the things that we do. I don't like modern music. If you want to wear flash colored trousers, go for it. But I don't want to see your fucking crown jewels everywhere, you know? So searching for boys in high school is as useless as searching for meaning in a Polly Shaw movie. Um, and she's right. But also Cher's about to be thrown a curveball as enters Christian. Who? Right, I'm going to say something. Did not find him as the heartthrob that Cher did. But I can understand <laughs> yeah, I why she... Because he's different to the other boys. Yeah. Christian is another transfer student. Suave, handsome, and kind of... I, I can see why she's into him because he kind of looks like James Dean. Yeah, well, they make that reference, don't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Christian, who dresses like he's a member of the Rat Pack or a saxophone gave birth to him, um, has a vintage car and moves like his legs are made of rubber, bouncing off the world around him, arriving in Mr. Carl's debate class. Cher is taken with him almost immediately and considers breaking her own rule of never dating a high school boy. He also does not look 15. Yeah, no, he really doesn't look 15. <laughs> Over the next few days and weeks, she does all that she can to draw attention to him in a series of ploys. and This becomes a trope. Mm. I've realised that in more mm. modern teen movies where they like after Clueless mm. they, it's in a, and it's in a couple of like modern TV type oh you send yourself flowers you send yourself mm. chocolates you make yourself mm. seem wanted but I think there's even a scene in something I've I've seen and I, can, I, I can't think of what it's relating to but where it's like oh I, I make myself seem wanted mm. yeah. so like, I think the Clueless set this one out really mm. to be honest well eventually he does ask to hang out with him um, and it's a montage to throw Cher in the deep end which follows and she is smitten and seems and he seems to have an appreciation for her too or at least what we were presented with um, yeah I did note like the, th- the three things she tries have appeared in, in many a thing as, yeah. as a way of doing it um, but also I highly doubt any of those would work mm. no much. he clearly in the, just by the quite good acting of his facial thing clearly knows it's a ploy to like get his attention but then just kind of like falls not false for it, but like, yeah. I'm a... Well, I, I kind of saw it as he doesn't think it's she's trying to get his attention. Mm. Yeah. I think she's trying to get attention of other boys in the classroom. Yeah. Just how he sees it, like, this is just what she's like. You know, mm. This is what she does. So she sends herself flowers and candy, which to me says that she has a boyfriend. Mm. Yeah. And you what? back off. Keeps drawing attention to her mouth. I've literally never noticed anyone draw attention to their mouth. People yeah. do say. Like, I mean, people say it, but I've never noticed that as a thing. It's weird, like, people do say, like, wearing red, like, wearing your, like, wearing yeah, red lipstick. Yeah, or, like, you like... see in films where they're like, oh, I'm just going to have a dessert, and it's like, oh, I'm wearing this thing. I'd be like, do you need help? Why are you struggling with that? Like, <laughs> you're like, Ted, is this food stuck in your mouth? Yeah. Do, you, do you require assistance? <laughs> I mean, like... Stop deep, I'm right? coming, that lolly. <laughs> the only one I think which would work would be showing Moskin. That's yeah. the only one which is actually going to get you more attention in this situation. So Mel, Cher's dad, is now dealing with one of the biggest cases. So all interns and even Josh has been drafted in to help out and it's dominating the house. Christian and Cher are to attend a party with Ty to cheer her up, arriving at the busy house to pick her up. Christian is suave as ever. Mel and Josh are off-put by his relaxed jazz cat persona. Taking an instant dislike to him, not helped by Cher coming down in an almost see-through white dress, triggering protective father mode. Josh, however, shows the first signs of some of his other interests in her. The two points, 
And one fun fact. When Cher comes down the staircase, she's in a white Calvin Klein dress, as we discovered. Josh suddenly looks at her in a more romantic light. The music playing in that is an instrumental version of Gigi from the film Gigi, which is a 1958 film. That movie is also about an older, brotherly-like character seeing a little girl transform into a young lady and falling in love with her. So it's well chosen. See, this is this is where I take take point. Right? If he's been introduced to her as a sister figure, to then see her as a sexual object <clears throat> is what makes this creepy. I think if he was an intern, yeah, not a problem. Uh, yeah, not. I think it's just the just it's the, the fact the family, that the when you, you were brought in, like, hey, here's this person. Oh, hey. This is now your sister. Okay, but don't think of her sexually. Okay, I won't. I, I'm going to say though as well, they clearly never got, never ever got on yeah. in, a, in a friendship, even like as friends previously. And then he even goes, well, I'm like your brother. And she's like, no, lol. Yeah, because they didn't spend any time together. They weren't re- like, she's like, we weren't ever in the same sphere. He just appeared later on because he had to. Yeah. I think it's just, it's just a family link. It's it is. Right. It's just, it doesn't move. I just think we have to, like, have to yeah. accept that like it was that link to Emma. Yeah. And you have to accept that it's not creepy, but it will. it is also creepy. Um, I get that. I think yeah. if someone comes up to me, like, you know, I was trying to get with a girl, she's like, oh, I have like, a sister to you. I'd be like... Mm, I think the one which got me is like, how did you meet? Mm. Oh, I was like, oh, well, it was my stepsister. I married this lady. Something in your brain just makes it, like, click wrong. So whenever I rewatch it, like, I know it's fine, and I know this Mm. is the relationship, but every time I watch it, it just does not sit right with me for the entire film. There's some disagreement from this side of the table, but I'll leave it at that. (laughs) But moving on, Josh is clearly envious and tells Mel that he will trail him to the party, because that's not creepy. (laughs) Mel appreciates it. Mel does appreciate it. But I also feel like Mel figured it out. Oh, well, 100% oh, figured it out. Oh, yeah. He's like... <coughs> he's there being all like... Part of me wonders why... Part of me puppets. wonders whether he even invited him to live there because he was hoping that they would be a good influence on each other. Yeah. Well, Josh. Unless you want Josh to get real vapid. Mm. Change his ways and get more beveled I feel like that's like a word. Vapid. vapid. We use vapid a lot, yeah. A lot. Yeah. Not just today. Just in your everyday life. But the scene plays out, and the party is bumping. Christian is loving it, and some other things he finds on the dance floor. Ty is not so much. Left alone on the sidelines of the dance, she tries to get the attention of the boys, but cannot. Just left a little awkward. Luckily, Josh is around, and at least recognises this, giving her someone to dance with, and of course, impressing Cher in the process. They dance the night away until they can't stand anymore, and Christian heads off with the band, leaving Josh to take Cher. With the band. Mm-hmm. Fun fact. Band on stage is a real band. Oh, nice! Yeah, they're called the Mighty Boss Tones. Oh, they're banging. Sorry. Mm. <laughs> they're <laughs> good. Like a real good laugh. 90s pop yeah. punk scare. Yeah. Best you can get. Absolutely. Yeah, because I, I, I figured they were as soon as we saw them, because it, the guy's way into singing it. Like, it's not someone pretending mm. to sing. Didn't they? I feel like they did a lot of that. Didn't they have a lot of actual real singers on Buffy in, the, in that club that they had yeah. on? In, yeah. Yeah, they had a lot of real Same with the and stuff. Charmed. Yeah. yeah. Oh, in P3. Maybe it was, um, maybe it's just a thing that bands did back then to get publicity. Yeah. <laughs> it's also sense. probably better to get someone who's actually in a band to do it rather than like yeah. extras to be like, can you just pretend to play bass and then like. Hmm. And you get fans of the band watching that episode and getting into the show. The whole night sets up Cher's expectations. Christian is bitchy about her enemy Amber. He sees him turn down another girl and of course ignores all of the signs we see knowing the reality we're going to find out. 
But none of that matters, because she's made up her mind and she will have it. On the drive home, Cher suggests that they pick up food for Mel and his colleagues as well, which is out of character, and they're working on the difficult case at the house. Impressed by this considerate suggestion, Josh begins to form a new opinion of her as well, not based on just what his penis thinks. This grows as well, his feeling, not his penis, over the next few encounters, getting to know one another more, no longer at odds as they were at the beginning of the story. Cher even convinces him to stick around for spring break during one such bonding session and give him the words we know he wants to hear, that Josh, you are not my brother. So she decides to move things forward. Christian invites him over one evening when her father is out. And it's all out tactical warfare. Polaroid fashion show, baking cookies, lip gloss, red dress, and flush cheeks. There is no baking of cookies. No, well, she she I'm sorry. She the way dough. she like throws the cookie dough on the on the thing, yeah. I'm just like, what I mean, I know she's It like, did make me want vapid. a cookie log though. I was like, I, I really want I just love to bake a log of cookies. No. Oh, they actually sell... Like, Little yeah. sell logs of cookie dough. Oh, really? Mm. And it's tasty. Can you cook it in a log? Yeah. If you want I'm guessing to. it would disperse, though. It wouldn't stay log for It would no. be like a... Like a real gross log. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember this is like a wet poop. Can we also talk about how I don't... Not I don't see because she's clearly like clouded, like roses and glasses, but... He acts extra gay from the moment he arrives. Yes. Mm. Yes, he does. So, yeah. Oh, honey, you babe. He, like, really camps up the stereotype that <laughs> she's, love... she's clearly got him. Yes. Sorry, carry on. No, that was it. I love her watching films and she's trying to build sexy. He's just like, trying to watch a film stop. <laughs> <laughs> so, as mentioned, Christian rocks up with some VHS and the pair settle in for the evening. After a few more key markers of Christian's incoming revelation, his love of art, his choice of films, but her disappointment and surprise, he ignores her advances. He ignores her advances in favour of watching the Tony Curtis movies, um, which also give, a, give you a key insight into how Christian is. Um, some like it hot and Spartacus is the films which he chose. I love that that is the ones that uh, the director like chose for him to be watching. Let's see, I don't really know that reference because well, the only Spartacus I know is like the fairly recent, I say fairly recent, it's probably like Blood and Sand. 12 years ago no. series. Yeah, but was that 12 years ago? I say, I say it's that, I don't know. I, it's Sorry, in my head. Because it was like I two love years that ago. series. I, for Sorry. some reason, love it. But, but the well, reason I love it because he's chosen either some like it hot which is marilyn monroe and things like that so incredibly camp like musical type uh like old school and then a bunch of half naked men running around i'm sorry april 16 2010 10 years ago well well, there was blood and sand and then it was vengeance and then it was war of the no was it war of the damn and vengeance because the original spartacus died you're a nerd yeah. <laughs> Damn. You only just realized. It was a down, and then the last one was uh, Spartacus. Maybe it was Spartacus War of the Damned. All I remember is it's a lot of fighting and lots of banging and lots of fighting. That's kind it, of like yeah. Game of Thrones before Game of Thrones. Well, this is it. Everyone was like, oh, Game and of Thrones, everyone's naked and fighting. And I'm like, have you seen Spartacus? Everybody is naked. Jonathan from The Mummy is in it. I don't know the actor's name. Oh, uh, he plays. Uh, oh, it's Aidan Hannah. John Hannah. John Hannah. John Hannah. Um, he, yeah. Oh, he's not a nice guy. He's a Roman. What? Yeah. What are we talking about? Spartacus. Spartacus. <laughs> okay. Highly recommend it, but I, I love it. <laughs> John Hannah's great. 
I know that. I'm not, not Wonder Woman that. plays. Not, I know uh, Wonder that. Woman plays um, his wife. Can't be done. No, other one. Original Wonder Woman. Oh, uh, I'm out. Jane Fonda. No. No. Jane something. Mm, Maybe not even Jane. But it started <laughs> off as an Australian miniseries. I'm, I'm known from The Mummy, and mm. I love those films. Oh my god. But these films are also chosen for a different reason as well. As you mentioned, they are quite campy, and Spock yeah. has lots of naked men. There are two films that I would but watch. Some Linda like Carter? Yeah. Linda Carter. But Some Like It Hot is also about a cross-dressing man. Mm. And, uh, Spock... Oh wait, no, she played Boudicca. Boudicca, not... Wonder Woman. Sparkus uh, also includes one famous scene in which Lance Olivier tries to seduce his male servant, which is the, the main reason that we share. Christian is many things, but he's not dumb. And he figures out quick that Cher is interested in more than just his taste in films and makes an exit. I was about to say, he's just like, go, nope, go. I gotta go. <laughs> I left a uh, chicken in the oven. He tries to be kind about it, but he just nopes so yeah, hard. Awesome. It's all very confusing for Cher, and she confides in Dion and Murray, lamenting Christian's lack of sexual interest in them, causing a highly amused Murray to point out what we all figured out long before, that Christian is obviously gay. What? They use his words for it. He's, He's a friend a... of something. I've got, I've got a oh, yeah. He's a cake boy. He's a disco dancing, Oscar Wilde reading, Streisand ticket holding, friend of Dorothy. You friend know what Dorothy. I'm saying. <laughs> He's, a He's a cake boy. He's a cake boy. I did not understand that. I'm going to like, find that out. I mean, I need to know. I'm, I'm worried that that may be insulting heavily to the game. <laughs> friend of Dorothy. I'm always saying friend of I'm Dorothy, younger. Yeah. Oh, I've heard Oscar Wilde reading before yeah. as well. It's just one of those community games. Like, is she a friend of Ellen? Oh, Ellen. Yes. <laughs> the new reference. Modern version. <laughs> oh my God, it's on Urban Dictionary as this is a term I came across in Clueless. Can someone tell me what it means? I'm guessing that you Other dictionaries are available. Yeah. Either way, this leads to a tense freeway moment. Uh, the chaos in which Cher has everything in her life has fallen apart. And this is reflected in the scene where they get on the freeway and everyone starts panicking and screaming. Um, but also, it reminds her how much she actually wants a boyfriend of her own in the way that Murray and Dion interact. Can I, sorry, can I quickly come in? I've just got a page that says 15 fat pieces of clueless slang. <gasps> fat pieces of clueless right can I just say the first few I don't understand how people wouldn't know what this is as if whatever jeeping okay I don't know what jeeping is, no, no, is. driving oh. vehicular sex there you go getting nailed in a jeep one second let me find cake boy because I come on here for cake boy well, we, we know it means cake. <laughs> I come on here for cake boy <laughs> cake boy what a lie <laughs> Cake boy in context refers to a homosexual man. It can also mean someone who's especially stylish, also known as metrosexual. Cake boy probably originated from the early 1990s or earlier. Some mix a lot song of the same name. Oh, uh, okay. oh my god, Hyman Lee challenges us on this. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. But um, Christian's sexuality was actually also foreshadowed a couple of other times in this, which we may not have noticed. When he's reading, and he, she's trying to get his attention in the film, he's reading Junkie which is by author William S. Burroughs, who is a well-known queer writer. And his entrance to class when Cher and we are all focused on him trying to figure out whether we're attracted to him or not, there is a sign behind him which says, Road to Nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a couple little drips of subtext all within that. That said, Christian and her managed to settle it, though, and become even closer friends, shopping buddies and all. After all, it's the 90s, and it's pretty trendy to have a gay friend. I was going to say, also, I mean, it's nice that she doesn't just par him off and that she stays yeah. friends with him. Yeah. And also, she, obviously, it's not a threat to anybody she likes because everyone knows he's gay. Mm. 
Exactly. Uh, while the Mar, Cher and Christian, the pair, run into Ty, chatting to a couple of guys. But this quickly turns traumatic, as the pair nearly drop her from an upper-level railing as a prank. Just a prank, Just a prank bro! I wrote that down, but I knew it was going to come, so I didn't even need to say it. <laughs> Christian steps in, though, taking names and comforting Ty, who is shaken but unharmed. Over the next few days, the news of the dramatic event spreads throughout the school, gradually escalating as stories such as this do within the school. Causing Ty's popularity to dramatically increase. Cher watches unnerved as Ty is caught up in the attention, becoming the shallow, snobbish brat that Josh accused Cher of creating. Cher is further disturbed when Ty coldly rebuffs the sweet-natured Travis in favour of more popular entourage. Mm. It's full cycle. She's learning. The final complete all Ty needed was the push in popularity, and suddenly she's top of the pile, and while Cher is figuring out emotions, she's dropped back and somewhat confused about her life and those around her. This is exacerbated by her then failing her driving test for her license. Because she's got things to think about. She finds it difficult to focus really after the shift in the yeah, friendship with Ty. I do. She ultimately fails the driving test and dejectedly turns home, returns home to find Ty and Josh playing flirtatious game of hacky. Oh. Isn't she like, oh, did I fail? And the guy's like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> the actor who plays that driving instructor is like, this is a small part for me. I'm going to go hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's all gone Pete Tom for sure. She's losing grip of her friends. I will say, by the way, there's a couple of other ones I just quickly want to mention. Okay. There's a couple of other things I didn't even notice in this movie. Um, she's a she's a full on Monet, so Cher. From far away, it's okay, but up close, it's a big old mess. I love that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Baldwin. It's okay, okay. He's a kind of Baldwin, uh, which was actually coined by Heckling for this movie. Which is Baldwin is a good looking guy named after the Baldwin brothers, Alec and William. Cher mm-hmm. is losing group of her friends and the world around her, and gradually hitting further bottom. Granted, bottom for Cher is not exactly bottom, as we've seen in other flicks, like Pig Parents or Your Family Being Murdered for Treason, but in Cher's world, this is pretty damning. Ty immediately speaks to Cher in private, excitedly revealing that she has overcome her disappointment about Elton because of her newfound attraction to Josh. Cher is startled by this, and startled by the discomfort she feels in response to the news, and tells Ty that she does not think Josh is a good match for her. Right. So she says it in a really nice way. Mm. I think she's like, oh, I don't think he's right for you. And it's obviously clearly coming from a place of jealousy. She doesn't say it in like a jealous no. way. She says it in a really nice way. And then what you're about to say happens. <laughs> this, however, does not sit well with the newly emboldened Ty. Affronted, she drops some truth bombs on Cher. You're a virgin who can't drive. And Cher sees the monster she's finally created. You know the unbridled rage you were talking about earlier on about Eaters? Yeah. That, I felt that unbridled rage yeah. towards Ty. Uh, so, fun fact, at the time of filming as well, oh, Alicia rage. Silverstone was a virgin who couldn't drive. Oh. Real hard hit fact, I hate oh. <laughs> You're a virgin that can't <laughs> drive. It's true, I know, fuck off! <laughs> so when she's actually driving in the movie, oh no, it's not going to be actual driving, is it? No. It's a film. <laughs> also, fun fact, in Emma, the sequence is delivered by Mr. Knightley, telling Emma off. That's what triggers the soul-searching. And the Emma variant of this is, she was vexed beyond what could have been expressed, almost beyond what she could conceal. Never had she felt so agitated, so mortified, grieved at any circumstance in her life. She was most forcibly stru- struck. The truth of his representation there being no denying. She felt it at heart. 
How could she have been so brutal, so cruel to Miss Bates? How could she have exposed herself to such ill opinion in any one she valued? How and how suffer him to leave her without saying one word of gratitude, of concurrence, or common kindness? As Cher puts it, I was totally clueless. (laughs) (laughs) Nice summary of that. So Cher embarks on a solo shopping trip to Clearhead and a 90s ballad all by myself plays over the top. Having overused song for that kind of mood. (laughs) Having time alone with her thoughts dislodges a few things in her thoughts. She realises just how much to her surprise and to ours that she is in love with Josh. And I really dislike this scene. Ignoring the creepy preamble and all that kind of stuff, which I have a problem with, I, it comes out of nowhere. I agree with you that it's also a strange... I know she does a lot of the talking over herself in the movie mm. earlier on, but it's only for short periods. So this is quite a long period of you watching her mom like, sort of go through the mall and stuff. Yeah, it, it almost, to me, it felt like she was convincing herself. You know, you're walking around, like, why have I reacted to this? Why have I been upset by this? Josh. Do I like Josh? Maybe I could like Josh. Here's 20 reasons why I could like Josh. Mm. Mm. But I like Josh now. Yeah, yeah, I like Josh now. But nonetheless, damage is done. In an unusually vulnerable mood, Cher goes to her father for advice, explaining that she's interested in a do-gooder, but not revealing that her lover interest is Josh, despite Mel. Because Mel actually knows. Mm -hmm. She expresses concerns that she is too shallow and selfish to win his approval, and Mel tenderly assures his daughter that she is an incredibly caring person, constantly going out of her way to help her family and friends, much like her late mother had done. Cher, heartened, resolves to become more compassionate on a wider scale, and also... Yeah, her dad totally knew. Yeah. You were ahead in the script, that's what it was. It is later Cher utters the classic line, This time I need a makeover, but this time, a makeover for my soul. Aww. Cher starts looking at the world in a different way, considering her friend's strong points and not how she can change them. It is a little sad that her own life is filled with only things she bought, but with things which she values as other people value them and begins giving back. First, she starts raiding her parents' house for a food drive, the wardrobe for skis and other things she thinks people need. need. The thought is in the right place, if the knowledge isn't quite. Daddy, some people lost everything! That includes sporting equipment. (laughs) Shout out to Travis once again for donating a bong and a homemade bong! It's the best! I love the... Where would you put this? Ceramics? Kitchen? Kitchen? That's where I put it! And the Pismo Deep Beach disaster relief is live and kicking because despite her vapid intentions previous, Cher knows how to throw a shindig and putting her popularity to good use. Also, shout out to Di for being an actual friend. Cher has a lot of random ideas in this film and goes a lot of random ways, but Di's just along for the ride. Like, sure, we're doing this now. Every single time. Travis also reveals that he's gone on a little journey, most likely triggered by Ty's comments about him. Um, when she was in uber bitch mode. Joined AA, trying to get off drugs and bettering himself. For all their differences, Cher and Travis are probably the most similar characteristics. They both have very clear views on life and had confidence, and their journeys reflect one another throughout the film. He's also performing in an amateur skateboarding league, which I'll show my age. When he said ASL, I did not think amateur skateboarding. Was. Age, sex, location. No, you. Oh, I thought American Sign Language. Oh, that's oh. so I love you so <laughs> <laughs> I, I just think you actually that's a really that's, I never really thought about that how Travis and Cher are like similar but in like mm. running in different groups of people yeah I love it when she when she's like I'm on a step program I don't know how many there is and she's like 12 <laughs> how did you know just a guess <laughs> <laughs> just, not 
long after the fight, though, Ty approaches Cher unapologetically, and the two become friends again whilst watching Travis participate impressively in the skateboarding competition. Which is definitely isn't him, by the way. Yes. Yeah. It seems Ty has actually recognised what she did in a conversation. And in what seems like an argument, but actually plays out like a counselling sessioning between the two, they come to reconciliation. Like, the way they talk is quite aggressive but very supportive all at the very same time yeah I like I like that bit because it also shows that like whilst Ty's gone into the uber bitch mood mm. like back valley Beverly Hills girl kind of thing is that she can still remember where she came from she realises that Travis is indeed worthy of Ty's affection and as such encourages them to reconcile after watching him perform some sick moves Ty seems to have found herself once again what she mainly wants is Ty no longer chasing Josh because my interest in Travis means that Josh is all for her. Wow, Travis. It's from here we start to see the wind down of the story. Everything has fallen into place and Cher found more balance in her life. It's just to resolve one last thing. Josh-shaped thing, as it were. She and Josh start spending considerably more time helping Mel and his colleagues process paperwork for their important case. Simple stuff, namely just filing, marking things in depositions. But while working with one of Mel's stressed-out underlings in the house, it's discovered that Cher had erroneously sorted some cru- crucial documents, causing a stressed legal aid to flip out on them both. The aide has also recognised the elephant in the room, that clearly Josh is into Cher, and Cher is into him, and he clearly disapproves. Now, whilst this guy deals with this situ in a pretty dickish manner and insults the shit out of Cher... I kind of get his point. He's likely a runabout in a legal office. It's a high-profile case. He's also been asked to work late on an important case by Mel, who, as we've seen, is a hard-ass. And this brother-sister combo, as it were, um, sat playing footsie, is fucking up his night. So uh, he's a bit of a dick in it. But he's also kind of within his rights to, to go off on it. It's a bit, a bit unprofessional to fly off the handle. Mm. Particularly at the boss's daughter. Especially as Josh is just like, get the fuck out, and then just cracks on. And he's not even paid for it. Um, you can do whatever one with your butts, but I'm calling in sick. Calling in sick? It's the end of the night. <laughs> Call in sick. Cher is crushed. But Josh defends and comforts her, as it seems. He thought he was hiding his affections well, and is affronted at the suggestion by the line. The best sit down, though, and talk it out. What's interesting here is the choice of language, which throughout the film is all over the place. But namely, your father won't lose any time. Josh is trying to distance himself from the familial side of things, which, as earlier, he seemed fine with being brotherly, just accepting that it would never happen. But now he's trying to put that distance in. But the pair bring up some comparisons. Josh is working the case as it's a good learning experience, and Cher shows she worries Josh still thinks of her as a bimbo. But he reassures her that it's more about him wanting her to live her life. A little flustered, though, Josh reveals he thinks she's beautiful. He quickly tries to backtrack, but Cher got confirmation she needed that Josh is into her. And the pair seal the deal with a simple kiss. And then probably banging, but hey, subtext. Gross. Not... Yeah, not, not the cute. I, think. I think it's cute. Kissing I love it when you were describing it. I was like, oh, it's such a lovely scene. Kissing in general. Who doesn't want to have sex with a poor rod? I know, exactly. Who doesn't want to have sex with Alicia? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. She's yeah. sex with Alicia. <laughs> this is also probably the best acted scene in the entire film. Yeah, yeah. In my opinion. Um, they probably spent a lot of time together, though. If you think about it, for the whole movie, they probably that helps. Which then leads us to a wedding. And let's round this 90s flick out. Mr. Hall and Miss Geis are married with many of their students in attendance. Which weird. was so weird. weird. Yes. So weird. So weird. We can all agree on that. Cher, now 16, as the narration says, is one such student in attendance. And they're with Josh, Dion, Murray, Ty, and Travis. I guess 
the equivalent of getting all your cast members on stage and doing a bow, isn't it? Pretty much. Well, a lot of Austin's also end in a wedding. Yeah. A lot of classical literature ends in a wedding. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, there's a name for it. Mm -hmm. Not the the, the everyone on stage. The bow. The encore. No, chorus. So the girls sit around and discuss their dream wedding plans. And much to the disgust of their days, shout out to Travis, who's in a bow tie and a white tee. Oh, I know. Classy. Absolutely. Yeah. But the bride's about to throw the bouquet, a moment which causes a scuffle and a fight between the women of events, not least as the guys are betting on it. But Cher wins it, sealing her fate with Josh and ending the film with a kiss. And we'll finish with a line from Emma following her and Mr. Knightley's marriage. Seldom, very seldom, does complete truth belong to any human disclosure. Seldom can it happen that something is not as little disguised or a little mistaken. But where, as in this case, though the conduct is mistaken, the feelings are not, it may not be very material. Emma and Clueless are classics for very different reasons. Emma is iconic. It's a story from a writer which there is much mystery around and broke the boundaries of what was acceptable for a female writer at the time by being satirical and touching all at the same time. Clueless is so over-the-top and satirical, it's bashed its way into the 90s, and the modern day remains a nostalgia trip, as well as continuing that lineage of satirising wealth and roles within modern era, which there is no avoiding. And I think cohesively, we can say we have chewed the plot on this one. Yay! Yeah, I really like that one. Thanks for bringing that. You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't believe Brett said he hadn't seen it when we first oh. suggested this, but we enjoyed it. I mean, second, I did that a bunch of times, but... Second thing I'll do, I don't know if I'm going to enjoy that, but then it turns out... Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think this is, is kind of unique as well. Like, There's a lot of 90s team films you, you enjoy or you hate, like, mm. but I think there's something for everyone in Clueless. Mm. It's smart. comedy, it's smart. Mm. I think it, in a way, is similar to 10 Things I Hate About You, Yes. which I feel like there's a lot of like... Um, they look at all the different groupings. They look at all the different um, like social groups in high school. You've got that like really strong connection between those two, like actors and actresses throughout the movie. I just think it's, I think it's good and a really really young, um, oh, the cute one from Five Hundred Days Summer. What's his name? Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Oh. Really young Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Oh, ten things I hate about you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 Really so, young, yeah. absolute bad. I had a real daydream about being an actor at the end there. About being an actor. Yeah. I was just sat there like, I wonder what it'd be like to be an actor. And just sort of Imagine it must be really hard sometimes. Just I would love it. I would love to be an actor. Just pretend to be someone else, Robert. Mm. Get paid like I'm five, good at that. 50 million pounds. I'd love to do theatre. It'd be not good. I don't think uh, I'd do theatre. It's really stressful. That's someone who's done theatre. I was the other day, like, the, the idea of comedy acting appeals, but no, I can't do it. Spooky. Spooky? Yeah. I think you're going to be like, like nervous. Oh, right. Yeah. I thought you meant comedy was spooky. Oh, no. I've never become a comedy actress. I'll remember this. Thank you. I'll be like Charlotte Greeney. Believed in me. Believed in me. Told me I should go into comedy acting. I wanted some direction in life. Didn't want to make the decision myself. Listen to her. You'll be alright. Her boyfriend just went, you'll be alright. Next week. Next, next week. week? Well, next month. Next time? Next time. Next time. Chewing <laughs> the plot. Next time on Chewing the plot. Brett, what are we bringing? Oh, um, oh. we are bringing Eiffel Giants. Uh, it's by Joe Kelly and J.M. Ken Nimura. Nimura? K. 
Ken Nomura, yeah. Ken Nomura. There you go. But we'll also be focusing on the film adaption oh, the film. of I Kill Which, Giants. No, it's probably available on Amazon Prime. <laughs> it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. Oh, on Netflix. Netflix. Okay, sorry. Oh, it's oh, available. Available. Oh, available. It's available. Like Amazon Prime. Like Amazon Prime. <laughs> <laughs> Amazon, if you're listening, <laughs> throw us some money. Amazon is always listening, so thank you. I mean, Alexa's listening right now. <laughs> we all look like oh, oh. but on that note I have been Graham Cooling with Jen Darby Charlotte Greening and Brett Knights and you have been listening to Chewing the Plot Woo!